Hey, welcome to the 292nd episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Logan. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently back at John Burns Fantastic Four, looking back at the series from, from the mid 80s. Really cool stuff. I love that, though, those those comics. Sometimes I talk about older movies, like cool or weird movies. Sometimes just like an off-my-mind topic about comics or you know weird things and characters or anything like that. So extra 30 minutes podcasts every single week if you need more. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. If you're generous, that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So this week, the movie feature is Dungeons and Dragon Honor Among Thieves. So you can hear about that. Um, and then there, oh, there's also going to be uh, the, the DC animated movie Batman, The Doomed That Came to Gotham. So you can hear about that. That's based off the Mike Mignola, Richard Pace comic from, uh, I think, like the early 2000s. And then all the regular TV shows. We got Star Trek, uh, Picard, Mandalorian, the two-season finale, two-episode finale. They did two of Star Wars: The Bad Batch, plus The Flash. More um, sad, tragic stuff going on. Superman, Lois, and then another uh, School Spirits, which I'm really enjoying that show on Paramount Plus. But as far as the news, there's quite a bit of news. Little, little things. One thing that's kind of weird. I'm just going to just kind of go all over in you know, no particular order. Scott, Spil- Scott Pilgrim. Scott Spilgrim? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So they're, they're, Netflix is doing an, like an animated series. Animated series or anime series. I, I, I'm not really clear what it is. We don't really know what the style is going to be like. Uh, they haven't shown anything. They release a teaser trailer basically uh, listing the cast members. And it's basically the original cast from the movie that are, are going to be in this. So... I don't know like how much information is out there about this and I you know I haven't sought it out. I guess my question is is this basically just a series the same story, you know, just like just redoing the movie but maybe expanding it more, you know, if if it's a series they can flesh things out because how many books was it? I I'm, I'm thinking it's six books. I'm trying to think how many I have. And obviously you know they they must condense things for the for the movie. It, I haven't like done a comparison, so okay. Because otherwise, is this like brand new? I mean, it makes me feel like it's just going to be the books, the original you know story. Because you know you got all these same characters. That that's fine. That's cool. I would hope they do it like closer to you know they, they try to do it the style of of the, the the comics, the books. You know, rather than something totally different. So that that's cool. I'm definitely down for that. Speaking of, of animated stuff, why not? Um, my adventures with Superman. So I remember when this was first announced. You know, when uh, all these like new HBO Max, you know, DC stuff. But now with the merger and you know things are kind of shuffling back. So my adventures with Superman. It looks pretty slick. You know, kind of like like the the style to it. I don't even know how I would describe it, but it's no. It was supposed to be an HBO Max and. Cartoon Network. Now it's only going to be a Cartoon Network, on the adult the Adult Swim 
time slot era section, not era. Um, it'll eventually end up on HBO Max, but not right away. I I don't know why you know what what's the decision? Okay, maybe you know let, let's let's try to push promote stuff on Adult Swim more because you know maybe there's difference with advert. I don't don't know what the reason for it. So that just means I'm gonna have to set my DVR. I have to remember to do that if I still have cable when, when that comes out. Because that's the other thing. So I don't know. Oh, this some some kind of big news. Joe Casada, uh, he's joining Amazon Studios. So he's gonna help like develop films and TV series based off of new and existing comic books you know, different properties. That's, that's cool. Joe Casada. I, I really like Joe. He, he, he's super nice guy. He's a cool guy. He's, he's a great artist. And obviously he's, he's got the business down. You know, I don't know if people really realize how much he's done. Cause you know, he's been in charge of Marvel for so long and, you know, he's been behind the scenes and it's one of those situations where it's like, Oh man, I wish he was still writing or I wish he was still drawing, but now he's, you know, doing more of the other stuff. So he really knows the characters and all that. So I, I think this this will be a, a good thing. And exactly what he'll get his, his hands on and, and be involved with, I don't know. But, you know, because Amazon has worked out that deal with Sony, you know, to develop some stuff. Like there's supposed to be like a Silk series. So we'll have to see. Um, that that's, that's very interesting. Speaking of Marvel, A Secret Invasion, some information has been officially released. I think it was a Vanity Fair interview. So so they they revealed um, who a couple characters are. And I debated when I saw, when I first heard that they were revealed, I was like, "Oh, spoilers are out or whatever," but I, I'm going to avoid it. But it's official, so you know, in this Vanity Fair interview, they, they talked about it. So Kingsley Ben Adir, is that how you say it? And Amelia Clark, you know, big questions like, "Who who are they playing?" You know, and um, it's it's out there now. I I guess I won't spoil who it is. It's it's is it big spoiler? Is it not? It, you know, it just depends on how much you know. Some people don't want to know anything, so I won't say who. Um, I, I okay. I'm 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 cool with with who who they're playing. So that, that's fine. But um, yeah, I won't say anything more about that. If you've been dying to know, it, it's out there. I mean, I'm sure you can even go to like IMDb. You know, if if you don't want to get too many specifics, if you go to IMDb, it'll probably have it listed now. So you can. Although with that, mm, never mind. I'm not gonna say anything more. Um, Sam Jackson also commented about. Because what was it? No, no way home. I I get, can't keep the Spider Man movie titles straight. They should just call it Spider Man One, Two, or Three. So that's I think that's the last time we saw Sam Jackson was in that movie, and he's talking about like how he's going to be portraying you know character now, and I, he's saying that it's going to be tenser. You know, it's, it's going to be a, a tenser at more more tense tenser tenser more tense atmosphere. Take your your your, your pick, which way you prefer me to say it. And because uh, you know, it's with all the scrolls. You know, you don't know who's who's an ally, who's not. So things are going to. I just think it's it's such a mess, so dangerous. And um, you know, maybe they should do it. That like spoiler like black widow didn't really die that was a scroll and nat's still alive somewhere and we can have scarlett johansson back in the marvel universe without it uh <laughs> speaking of uh continuing marvel uh vincent donofrio says that daredevil reborn will be getting a season two so i guess there's just like so much to the story that that's not gonna be enough it's so funny i mean 
I, I've never met the guy. I've never talked to, you know, anything like that. I, I just love how he's like sort of like the spokesperson, or whatever. He, he just, he's constantly saying stuff. And it's like, should, are you allowed to say this? Are you supposed to be saying that? Thank you for, for keeping us informed since, you know, no one else was. But so I just think that that's funny. But he just seems like very dedicated and, you know, very into it, which, which is what you want. You know, you want someone that, that cares, wants to do this. And it's not like this is just a paycheck. Uh, Deadpool 3, they, I guess, are officially bringing back Blind Al. So Blind Al is going to be in there. So she's going to be in an MCU now. And uh, Dopinder, the taxi driver, <laughs> he's going to be there. So that, that'll be good. Um, going over to DC, Jason Momoa, he seems, uh, he's, he's pretty sure that he, Aquaman is, is going to be around, that he's going to you know, keep playing the role. He said that you know, he's he's friends with Peter Safran, and you know he had, I think he had a meeting recently, and things were good or something like that. And uh, he's like, I I mean, he doesn't know for sure. I think he's like, hopefully they see the importance of you know Aquaman and whatever. Okay, I mean, it, it's hard to say. His Aquaman was fine. I don't know. I mean, I I I've liked what Jason Momoa has done, and you know he did a good Aquaman. Aqu- was there we, we haven't had Aquaman 2 yet right I'm not I've only seen Aquaman 1 once I think I don't know if I, I saw, actually saw it again did I watch it at, at home so I'm okay with it but then seeing no, no, nothing against him but seeing the character that he's playing in Fast X which has nothing to do with this I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes at at the dialogue that that character but then again that could just be the character there so I don't know, you know, do we want him? I, I guess he was a strong presence as Aquaman. And, and that's the important thing because, you know, Aquaman for so long has been given a lot of flack for being like this cheesy, like kind of wimpy character. And Jason Momoa really kind of helped turn the tides. You know, I always say Jeff John's New 52 run was, was stellar. I mean, it was so good. And uh, with jason momoa you know he really kind of amped up beefed up the character or whatever and showed that you know he's like this badass so you know it could be a good thing i i guess i'm just looking at i mean it's not like jason momoa is like super old or anything or, or getting old but if we're getting a younger superman you know it's not that, like they have to be the same age so the question is is jason momoa okay with playing aquaman for the next 10 years you know whether it's a cameo or full-on so that that's that's my only concern i guess i, I would say with that it's like how how does he want to do it? And then speaking of, of all that stuff, Zack Snyder. So we got this Snyder con or whatever thing happening. He's uh he's he was praising Warner Brothers with you know helping out with with doing this. I guess you know allowing this stuff to happen. You know the screening of his movies or, and, and all that. And he's he had good things to say about James Gunn and Peter Safran. You know he says you know he's met with them, he's talked with them, whatever. They they they've been beyond kind and caring and personal. So, you know, he wishes them luck. And I guess someone brought up the whole Netflix in that, which there's just no way. And and he's like, well, it's above my pay grade. And he's like, that would be interesting. And it's like, no, just let it. Let's, we just need to move on. Just, just be done with it. Speaking of, although I want to move on, but I'm not. Ben Affleck had some things to say about the, the maybe cut, cut scene uh, from The Flash with Wonder Woman and Batman. And, you know, he, I don't know if, if, if it's, if it's spoilers, like to talk about like what Wonder Woman had to do, how she, whatever, 
and what Batman and uh, I don't even know. But I think he said that he, you know, he's he's kind of gone back and forth about wanting to be Batman, not wanting to be Batman, wanting to be Batman. And, you know, I think he's, he said something that he feels like he's really like getting the character now, like he really nailed the performance and I don't know. But it's still a thing. I mean, Batman shouldn't have like guns on a Batmobile or Batplane and be, just be plowing villains down like it just doesn't seem right. Um, what, I'm not sure if this is right either. Star Trek, Starfleet Academy, uh, a series has been ordered to Paramount Plus. And um, I, I I don't know. I think I'm going to have to pass on that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't watch the other Star Like Star Trek Discovery, I don't I don't even know if that's good or not. Some It seems like people like it, but then other people I think don't like it. And So I'm not like, you know, the biggest Star Trek fan. I really like Next Generation, even though I didn't watch that religiously. And you know I'm enjoying Star Trek Picard, obviously, which is why I'm covering it on on this show. So, but a Starfleet Academy, I just don't know if I'm invested enough in the Star Trek universe to care enough to want to see brand new characters like oh you know and I, I, I someone said it was like teen Star Trek you know teen it's like I don't know is, is this a CW no it's Paramount it's like what's what's going on so I I don't know well but if you're a Star Trek fan maybe that'll be cool. I don't know. Bill Skarsgård. Uh, so we have this welcome to Derry. Like, I, I don't understand what they're doing. How are we going to do it? I'm, obviously, I'm going to watch it. So it's supposed to be like a prequel for It with Pennywise and all that. Bill Skarsgård said he, he's uh, not currently involved in Welcome to Derry. So I don't know exactly what that means. Is it like a financial negotiations or is it just a matter of do they need him or are they planning something else? Because uh, I, I guess the other thing is, you know, if if this is before he became the killer clown, you know, maybe he just kind of looks different, and maybe Bill Skarsgård doesn't fit the role. And yeah, you could try make up, you know, prosthetics or whatever. Or maybe it's just a yeah, I'm not going to do that unless you pay me, you know, X Y Z. I, I don't know, but he because he did say like if someone else does do the role, he's like just do it yourself you know don't you know don't try to do anyone else just be you know make it your own role and just go forward with that so i don't know but it, i mean it didn't seem like he was angry or bitter or anything but it's just and you know maybe it's like a scheduling conflict you know maybe it depends on if, if he would even be available so i don't know i'm just really curious like what is this sh- show going to be about so it's going to be on hbo max so we'll, we'll see um chris pratt said that super mario brothers movie which is out this week um as when you listen right he said that a sequel is teased in the post credits of course it is you know is that the purpose of the post credits in most cases to to tease a sequel that may or may not even you know be official yet we'll see um yeah i don't know i'm not sure about my expectations for that if i have any i'll just say that and then uh it looks like the last bit of new no there's a couple things uh house of dragon it's not really news but house of dragon season two is going to be shorter than than season one by two episodes so it's gonna be eight episodes instead of ten and the, the the question came up like is it because you know cutting down costs i think someone said it could be just to focus on the story have you know the, the plot being story driven and why do 10 if you can tell the story in eight you know to be more compact or whatever but just don't just don't do a bunch of like time jumps again. It's just so so weird. 
And then, uh, then officially now, uh, for sure, the last bit of news, Ryan Coogler apparently is developing possibly an X-Files reboot. So Chris Carter mentioned that. And it's going to be it's supposed to be with like a diverse cast, of course. Uh, my question is, since there's not really anything known about it, is by reboot are you is 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 it like starting over, or you know is is it in the same universe or totally different? Could we possibly have Fox and Scully, Fox and Mulder and Scully, <laughs> Fox Mulder? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, but. Uh, that's going to be it for the news this week. So let's go get over to comics. At Image Comics, uh, it's weird to say, how do you say Image? Image Comics. At Image Comics, we had Ambassadors number one. So this is a new series by Mark Miller and Frank Quietly. And um, uh, it's it's a good first issue. You know, it's the most ambitious comic book of all time. It's finally here. Imagine you could gift superpowers to six people in a world of eight billion who do you choose? Join six of the greatest artists in the industry for an enormous story about ordinary people from around the world explaining why it should be them. Uh, that's weird. Did I read the same ish? Because it didn't feel like that's what the series was about. So the first story features art, art by Frank Quietly. I thought, see, I, I, this is how like out of the loop I am and how much I don't pay attention or whatever. I thought, I didn't realize there was going to be different artists in each book. I'm okay if, if if they're you know they're looking at different characters and all that, but um, I'm trying to think back now. How this issue ended? Did I finish actually finish the issue? Because it almost what I'm thinking almost felt like it was like an abrupt ending, and there wasn't really the idea. You know, it's, it's just uh, mentioning the idea of these superpowers existing, but there is no like choosing. So that almost feels like that that's something coming later, unless unless I just missed something. I don't know, but. Um, it, it, it's definitely off to a good start. Okay, so I, I believe what happened again. I don't think I read all the comics this week because Bloodstained Teeth. I didn't read. Oh, this is a series finale. Oh man, um, I just wonder. I have to double check if I actually read issue nine, but I, de- I know for a fact I didn't read this. So this has been a good series. I, I would you know recommend when it it's collected. You know if if you haven't been reading it, check check that out and. Uh, it's it's vampires, but it's got kind of like a different take. Okay, then there is. Oh wait. Okay, I was getting. <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. I was getting comics mixed up when I was thinking of the ambassadors. I was kind of mixing that up with um, Indigo Children. Okay, so yeah, um, the ambassadors. We see like it's about powers. Okay. And then Indigo Children, this is by Kurt Pierce and Rockwell White. Um, uh, acclaimed creator Kurt Pierce returns the image for a brand new ongoing series with the creative team behind the smash hit series Youth, which I don't know anything about that. I'm sorry. Soon to be a show on Amazon Prime. So I think Youth is going to be a show. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for that. So they're describing this as Radiant Black meets Department of Truth, this action-packed sci-fi mystery epic as journalist Donovan Price hunts down the extraordinary gifted indigo children after their mysterious disappearance 15 years prior. An extra-length first issue for a regular price of just $3.99. So this is, was, um, this is kind of what I was thinking in my head, but this, this was, was cool too. Uh, it, it kind of starts off this guy somehow gets to hold this old videotape where 
this kid with like superpowers and they're like kind of looking it up and the tape was supposed to be like scrubbed like buried destroyed but he's so then he's like kind of investigating it and so i'm 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 curious to see where this is going to go and and i mean if you think about it, like radiant black versus department of truth i mean that sounds cool or just right there you know if you don't get any further so i would recommend that local man this has been a, a fun series this is tim seeley's and tony fleeks and you know they, they both kind of do the, the art with like the present and flashback stuff. This is it's basically kind of like a an old school image book, or you know almost like a blood striker or or, or um they you know they they mentioned cyber force and, and stuff like that, where you have this hero, this this guy he was on this you know team of heroes he kind of gets kicked off the team, and what it it, it seems to be what happened is he kind of had an affair with one of his teammates who is like married or involved with another teammate, you know, so the two, you know, two team members are married. He was having an affair. He gets booted out. I don't know if that's the only reason why. So he returns back home and he's kind of disgraced. Like no one really likes him because, you know, he shamed the beloved heroes or something like that. Um, his kind of nemesis was, was killed so you know he becomes a suspect right away but it's like you know he didn't do it so uh, it's just it's it's cool because it feels like it actually fits in with you know the regular like existing marvel or not marvel existing image books but it's it's like new and with the the flashbacks and stuff like that you know it really they kind of channel the energy and all that so i i think it's it's pretty cool at DC Comics, let's see what I did not read. Um, I didn't read Detective Comics. I haven't been super crazy about this, the story arc lately. This like these people with the ancient tie to Gotham. It just I don't know. It just seems weird. I don't know how long that's going on. I mean, maybe it's totally over. But I didn't I didn't even crack that open this this week. Um, Waller versus Wildstorm, and um, this was a. Uh, this was okay. The main thing is, you know, this is a black label book. So I believe that means it's out of continuity. It's doing its own thing. Because, you know, it starts off where, you know, we have Lois Lane doing this investigation and she talks to um, a, a, a hero. So, we're, but it's weird because we have this mix of Wildstorm and, and DC characters. And, and I, I, I think it's, it's kind of weird, but it's, it's a cool thing that you know that this acquisition or merger or whatever happened and how in in a lot of ways it's it's kind of like seamlessly done it's it's like they're always there even though it just it feels so weird and different because they're not in the same universe but now they are and it's like they always have been and so there's just some some interesting things and then now as far as you know Amanda Waller being involved you know what does that mean and who are you know who who's she working with and we we get some flashbacks and it's, it's it's some some weird things going on here so it's you know i would definitely say it, it's could be worth checking out if you're not not sure uh lazarus planet revenge of the gods number two i did not read that because i didn't wasn't i didn't really like the first one and all this lazarus planet stuff i just i'm i'm not super crazy about it um, Blue Beetle Graduation Day issue five came out. I, I've been kind of dropping off with that. I I like the idea. I mean, I, I'm glad Blue Beetle's getting this this series or miniseries, but I I don't think I've read the last issue or two, so I didn't get to this one. Uh, with Action Comics one thousand fifty two, 
what was what was funny in the beginning, I'm looking at this because recently, you know, so John Henry Irons putting up like Steelwork Institute or Steelworks, and then there's like it gets attacked by uh, Metallo, and Metallo is being basically blackmailed and forced by Lex Luthor to, you know, attack Superman and everything like that. But I'm, as I'm reading this and, you know, they're talking about that, like the destruction that happened with the the tower. And I was like, wait, but I thought Lex Luthor is supposed to be like super, you know, good guy. Now he gave like LexCorp to Superman and called, renamed it. And, you know, he's supposed to be trying to help him. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? But then, you know, there is mention that the stuff that he set in motion before was before, you know, he saw the error of his ways or, or whatever. I don't know. So it's um yeah there there's some weird things there, but the other thing is I don't know what it is about Metallo. I mean, he is by far anywhere close to one of my favorite characters. I just find him so annoying and just it just seems. I mean, I guess the fact that he's he's just a cyborg powered by kryptonite or somehow like that. So he's, it's just. I, I guess the problem I have is how he's he's like so powerful and it just just seems weird. So, anyways, uh, one thing that I didn't like, which I will kind of spoil, is so Jonathan's like staying home with with the the new kids, the the twins from uh, the War World. He's supposed to be watching them, and then some stuff happens on the news, and the girl takes off, and Jonathan's like, "Oh, Dad's gonna kill me" or whatever. But it's like these kids, I don't care if you're alien kids when you, you know, there are rules and you need to learn that. So we'll see where that's going to go. But there's like some, some bad stuff maybe happening. Then there's a, the Superman and Lois uh, story. So this is by Jan, Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks. So this is supposed to be like, you know, the original continuity of Superman and Lois where they had a kid. And, you know, this is like after Convergence, you know, we had that mini series looking at these characters. So this is a, uh, Continuing with that one, where Jonathan is has been taken off planet because this ship crashed and there's like this aliens. She says she's a princess, so Jonathan's trying to help her. You know, this is young, you know, little Jonathan. Thank goodness. And um, then they get taken off because you know she, she, someone's pursuing this princess and, and stuff like that. Then there's a another Power Girl story, which I, I'm not just sure what's going on here. I I like. The idea of Power Girl being incorporated more, she just seems so angry and bitter. And, and does she deserve to be? Maybe I don't know, but it just seems weird because you know she's you know Jonathan is getting psychic treatment, whatever. You know, this, I don't understand how Power Girl has all these psychic abilities, but she, you know, Super Power Girl <laughs> is just going on about how she's not part of the family and she's not invited. To, but it's just like. Do you really want to be or not? I mean, you're just so so. Angry. And then at one point, Jonathan calls her Karen. She's like, "That's not my name. That was just a an an alias I used." So it's like, "Well, what is your name?" And she's like, "I don't have one." And it's like, "Come on, man. I don't know." Um, Star Girl: The Lost Children, issue five. I absolutely love this series. This is such a such a good book. So Jeff Johns and Todd Knock. I just think it's it's just so brilliant, and I almost feel bamboozled by it at the first issue. So there's like all these kids, all these kids' sidekicks are like the golden age characters. And when I was reading this first issue, because then at the end, it's like the who's who's files and you get the history on all these characters. I'm like, man, do I really not know anything? Jay Garrick had a daughter. And what, where, what, there's no mention of what's going on and all these other characters and these kids. And, and 
So I'm like 99.9% sure that all of those who's who's files were totally fake, written by Jeff Johns for you know for these new characters. Because what's happening here is all these kids, these sidekicks and, and you know kids, they were kidnapped by someone, kind of taken out of time, and then they were kind of like forgotten. It's almost like they were erased from the timeline. So Jeff Johns, being the the brilliant nutty insane writer that he is, writes these like complete histories on all these characters totally made up i mean that's we're not talking about just like writing a comic book you're talking about writing a, a comic book and then writing just pages of text to go through all this history and with like footnotes and you know because referencing existing com- it's just it's so nuts and then i just i just really i i, I i'm adoring star girl i mean I, I think she's such such a cool character so Definitely, you should be reading this. Unstoppable Doom Patrol, number one. I really like this. Chris Burnham doing the art. His art, it's it's like gritty but detailed, and it's just it's just so like, you know, like a nice punch in the face if you can if that makes sense. I just really like it, and I, maybe it's because I, I'm really warming up to the TV show. Like the more episodes, I'm just like so. I'm like, wait, when is the show coming back? I think it's next this month, April something. But it it kind of it's kind of channeling the vibe there, and uh, there's there's some cool things, and definitely some like wait, what's going on with these characters, and you know what what? So there's some some cool moments there, and uh, they end up going to Metropolis, deal with something, and then, of course Batman and Robin show up, and <laughs> and there's some some interesting funny exchanges there. Tim Drake, Robin Seven, uh, we have different art here, so Robin actually has hair and, and not less like a skull cap a hair colored skull cap or whatever um this is dealing with tim and his boyfriend and uh and they, they go out to dinner and then his boyfriend i can't even think of his boyfriend's name his his parents are there and i guess they're they haven't accepted uh, bernard that's his name they haven't accepted bernard as being gay so you know there's tension there and it's and, and I mean it's, it sucks so bad that that's how it is. It's just it's hard to read because it's like man, if you're just so narrow minded that you can't accept that, because you know I don't think it's someone like you know what I think I'm going to be gay today. I think I'm going to be gay for the next you know for the foreseeable future. Is this just how you're wired? And you know I I just I don't think it's like you're born with male bits so you're a male i mean and, and that's the thing it's not even i, I guess i'm getting into like uh, other territory here but it's just like okay you have boy bits so you're supposed to like people with girl bits it, it doesn't work that way and you know i i really think i really think that like bisexual people are more open-minded than heterosexuals because if you're looking for a soulmate or just a mate or just a date you know, if you're a dude, you're just your your playing field is just women. If you're a woman, your playing field is just dudes. But if you're bisexual or or gay or whatever, or I guess bisexual, you're saying, hey, I don't care if you're a male or female. I'm just looking at whoever is is most attractive or or is super cool. You know, it's not just about looks. And and then if if you happen to like, well, I'm a dude and I prefer dudes, or I'm a woman, and I prefer women. That's just that's just how it goes. So I don't know, but yeah. So it's it's unfortunate that you know that that anger or 
that confusion where people don't understand or can't accept it. That just it's just too bad. Okay, then there's a uh, Sandman Universe Dead Boy Detectives issue four. This has just been such a weird series. Uh, I really like the the concept of the Dead Boy Detectives, and then you know they come into contact with some other uh, ghosts characters, and there's some evil, you know, there, there's threats, and it's just a, a lot of weird weird stuff going on. So I'm I'm really enjoying that. Um, I didn't check out Harley Quinn. I'm not even sure what this is about. I didn't read a. <laughs> I didn't read anything. I didn't read uh, Gotham City Year One. Um, wait, which one's? Oh, this is a uh, the the series. I'm not. I'm not really sure how I feel about this. I I think my my problem is like, what 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 is what are the intentions here? Like, where is this going? And because I'm just kind of confused because it's it's not in regular continuity. It's one thing if if you're gonna do that, but the to call it Gotham City Year. I don't know. I mean. I'm just confused, I guess. Unless I'm just missing something, misinterpret. I don't know. And in Dark's Knights of Steel, I didn't read that. Um, I should read that, but I just I didn't get to it. That's just how, how it goes. What did I do this week? And why was I so busy? At Marvel, there's a Avengers Beyond issue one, and um, kind of spoiler as to Avengers All Out, whatever. Because with Avengers All Out there's been someone who's been kind of manipulating things. And the, 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 so with Avengers All Out, that was a series where we're kind of thrown in the middle of the action, like towards the end. So it's like, let's let's kind of skip over all the setup and, you know, doing this. Let's just go, okay, here's the big climax. Boom, 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 boom. And then things are resolved. I get it. It feels like a, a little cheap in, in some ways. You know, you're cutting corners. But also, it's like okay, whatever. You know, that's just—it's more efficient. I don't know. But something's been going on, and like characters are like not remembering things. Like they don't know how they got to where they're at, and they're like, "Wait, what happened? Yes, how did we? Why are we fighting this person?" So apparently, we kind of find out what's going on here. And is it a spoiler? Do I want to say? I mean, if you look at the cover, it's a pretty big spoiler, and I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I mean, if you look at a cover, this is not a spot. The Beyonder's on the cover. The friggin' Beyonder. And for me, that makes me super reluctant because I absolutely love Secret Wars. And I really like, eh, I kind of of really like Secret Wars too. But then after that, the whole idea of like the, you know, like what they were trying to say is, is the Beyonder. I don't, I mean, I'm sorry, Brian Michael Bendis. I don't know if this has ever been addressed again. Or maybe this is just being ignored. Maybe I shouldn't bring it up. But wasn't it in that Illuminati f- series? They're trying to say that the Beyonder was just an inhuman, like an amped up inhuman, and he was just kind of crazy or deluded. No, because in here, in this, even in this issue, it talks about like the Beyonders and the race and like other people. And I, I'm not, I'm not sure how we feel about that because uh, like some of the things that are being insinuated. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so interesting things there. Uh, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, issue two. I'm trying to think back. Um, okay, so I think this is because when I look at the cover, I'm like, wait, there's Agent Carter. Is this like an, a continuation from Agent Carter? You know, like, you know, the second volume? And is it, you know, because Betsy Braddock was in that, but here's it's Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. So I was like, wait, she wasn't Captain Britain there. So this is. This is regular continuity Captain Britain, 
but then because it's the cat written cores and different you know universe so i didn't read this because i was like did i read the first issue and i still don't know i so i should check that out then there was clobbering time so this is steve scross and um this is something i i I'm always curious about you know his his books and just his style. There's something about it where again this is kind of like that that gritty detailed um, aspect, but also his books sometimes tend to be a little a little kind of weird. Um, so I, I definitely want to check this out. I just because I, I was just running out of time, so I I didn't read that Daredevil issue nine. Uh, just one revelation is going on here. I don't know how I feel about it, and I don't want to accept it, but we're, we're still dealing with all this stuff. And um, there's a couple things, it, and it's just like, it's like, man, Chip Zdarsky is like, come on. You, you know, the, the, when you get these stories where, you know, the, the characters just get beat up, not physically, but just like on a whole, or just, you know, everything just starts falling apart, and it's just like, come on. But you know that's part of the story where it's like okay these big bad things you know they're they're surviving these tragedies these hard moments and so you know there's some some things that Daredevil has to deal with uh, on a couple fronts and then just the whole idea you know it it, it was kind of been not really touched on the last couple issues or whatever but the Avengers are like very angry. It's like, oh, we got to go get this Daredevil guy because he's doing some bad things. Even though there are so many villains out there, or even the fact like the Punisher is joined forces with the Hand and is killing all these people, but you're going to go after Daredevil because he's broken some villains out of prison and they're trying to you know do, do the right thing, you know, trying to fight the Hand and Frank Castle, who is just like killing people left and right. It just seems a little hypocritical because, like, dude, you're 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 the Avengers. You're not the superhero police. It's not your job to go after someone just because maybe some of you fought with him. And I don't know if it's because of the confusion where they think that Elektra killed the president, which it wasn't really the president; it was like a puppet, you know, fake or something. I don't know, but we'll see. And then Deadpool issue five. What the heck is going on? So Deadpool 5, there's been a lot of symbiote stuff. My favorite, right? And um, so basically this scientist lady kidnapped Deadpool, implanted him with uh, like a symbiote because his every time she had have a host, a host would get swallowed up by the symbiote or just die or whatever. So Deadpool with his healing factor, he's able to you know, support it. And then I, th- I think there's like been more than one car- uh symbiote put in her because then freaking carnage rips out of deadpool but then wait something happens to carnage is like is carnage back is he not i haven't been reading the carnage series so i don't know where he's he's at with that but carnage oh my gosh i cannot stand Carnage. who is my least favorite character and i don't know if it's carnage it just might be who do i hate more than carnage there's got to be someone carnage can't be my absolute lowest but I still say, say, okay, you have a serial killer with venom powers, with symbiote powers, who likes to kill people and and thinks it's cool. I just think he's just complete scum. And I just don't want, no, uh-uh. 
Because I don't know if he was a child killer. Maybe he's just a killer. You know, he's a serial killer. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to glamorize serial killer. Like, oh, he's cool. And yeah, even Deadpool, but Deadpool is not a serial killer. He kills mostly bad guys. I don't know. Is it hypocritical? Maybe. Invincible Iron Man issue four. So Jerry Duggan, um, he's doing some interesting thing here. So this uh, Fei Long dude, I don't really, even though I've been reading the X-Men books and this guy's been, you know, uh, Os Osiris or whatever the thing, I don't really know a whole lot about him. And, and part of it is like, this is again, the thing where it's like the annoying bad guy. It's like, I don't want to support you. I don't care about you. I don't want to get invested in you. But he's basically, you know, trying to take over Stark Unlimited because Tony's kind of dropped the ball on some things. And he's just being a big jerk. So Tony wants to call him on the spot because uh, some people close to Tony have been killed thanks to this guy. So we'll have to see. And it's interesting with, with Jerry Duggan writing this and you know, working on X-Men that it's kind of bringing these two different corners of the Marvel Universe together. So I think that's really cool. Uh, it's Jeff, issue one. This is a book that everyone should be reading. So Jeff is the beloved, cute uh, land shark that debuted in the last West Coast Avengers series by Kelly Thompson. And what one of the things I absolutely love is, you know, so I think these are just reprinted or collected. So it doesn't say anything in the synopsis. Yeah, collecting the hit Infinity comic series from the Marvel Unlimited app. This one shot features a brand new cover and tail. We mean tail, T-A-L-E. So yeah, I haven't been, even though I have the Marvel Unlimited, I haven't been reading it. Okay. Uh, so I've read it here of all places on a Marvel app instead of the Marvel Unlimited app. And uh, it's just, it's funny stuff. It's cute stuff. And uh, I, I love, there, there was one story where like Gwenpool's there. I miss Gwenpool so much. And again, Gwenpool is not Gwen Stacy. He's not Deadpool. I want more Gwenpool. Um, then we have, there is a Planet Hulk Worldbreaker issue five. I meant to read that, but I didn't. Um, Sabretooth Exiles, there's no way I'm going to read that because I can't stand it. Sabretooth is, is close to Carnage. I think I might hate Carnage more. I'm not really sure. Um, I wanted to read this one too. It's like I, can't, I don't have time for anything. It's, it's sad. Star Wars Return of Jedi, Jabba's Palace. So I was curious about this. Who is plotting to overthrow Jabba the Hutt? Jabba's Palace is one of many places to find a vilest scum and villainy relaxing, wet their whistles, and indulge in their vices. Uh, who would ever want that to end? Well, someone has Jabba in their sights. Beginning an original series of one-shots spotlighting the Return of the Jedi era, Mark Guggenheim, Alessandro Miracolo bring you a tale of Jabba's Palace you won't soon forget. It could be cool. Yeah, I, I can't comment on this issue since I haven't read it. Uh, the only thing is I feel like there is a little like limitations with because we know what happens to Jabba. But I, I think it's possible we could still get some cool stories out of that. So I need to, to read that and see what's going on there. Strange Academy uh, Finals Issue 5. So things are really heating up with this. You know, you got this one faction of students. You, you know, I don't even know if I'd call them a faction. Just a few students teaming up with Dormammu and then trying to attack the school you know, get revenge because they feel like they're wronged and uh, it's just seems kind of crazy it's just how can you go be that extreme you know your regular good student and now you're completely evil it just seems weird um, then I think that was all I, I actually read this week 
Thor issue 32 came out. Thor versus Doctor Doom. I see I should read this. It's Thor against Doom in the battle of wits, morals, and of course might. Doom's latest plot lies deep in Asgard's history, and nothing, not even time itself, will stop him from getting what he wants. Except maybe Thor, who might pursue him just to protect reality itself. So we'll see. I, I should should have read that. And then um, there was Venom Lethal Protector issue one. So this is David Michelini. Um, so it's going back like Venom Lethal Protector. This is when Venom still hated Spider-Man, wanted to eat his brains. I just I'm just not in the mood for that. And then um, oh, I how do I say I don't know about this X Men Unforgiven. So when you click on like the series in the Marvel app, it kind of takes you to Spider-Man Unforgiven, and I wasn't super crazy about that. Uh, so it's just, yeah, we'll see. Um, mutants are monsters, beaten, broken, and bruised after destruction of Spider-Man Unforgiven, the Forgiven, desperately need a break, but of course, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Body parts have mysteriously started washing up on the coast of Maine, and these extraneous organs call for help from the extraordinary X-Men, but with former bloodsucker Jubilee in tow, the team is risking more than they know. Yeah, so I didn't, didn't like that Spider-Man. It wasn't for me. Um, but that is it. So that was all that is for me. That's going to be comic books for the week. All right, I'm actually going to um, switch things around and do School Spirits first since I'm like a week behind, half a week behind or whatever. So we'll do this earlier in the show because I, I like to try to do it chronologically, like in the, the day of the week. So, you know, like after this will be uh, Superman Lois because that comes out on Tuesdays and then Flash, Bad Batch and Mandalorian, and you know, come out on Wednesday. You get the idea. Anyways, so uh, we're at episode five, season one, episode five, the Twilight End Zone. Twilight End Zone. Again, all, all these titles are like a play on something else, which I, I think is clever. Is it cheesy? Who, who cares? And um, I, I still say, so about this show, we're, we're still no closer. I have no idea what happened to, to Maddie. You know, how did she die? And, you know, who's responsible? And for the most part, I would say, you know, the, the show's really good at setting things up and, and, you know, laying out clues and everything. And just when you think you have an idea, then something kind of gets thrown at you. Now, I was like thinking about this. They're not, you, it, they, they, you could easily run the risk of like overdoing it. Like, oh, it looks like it's this person. And then like, nope. And then next week, oh no, it, it's, it's really, you know, the, the, the hall monitor. Nope. And then so, but they don't, they don't really do that. So there are a couple of long running, you know, suspects and, and so forth. But I, I, I think it's, they're, they're doing a good job laying it all out and just leaving you guessing and trying to figure out what, what's, what's happening. So it starts off, you know, last week we got the, the bombshell with Mr. Anderson, where he was up to some kind of um, nefarious schemes, money, not necessarily money laundering, but he kind of scammed some money out of the school by, you know, buying new uniforms for the band and just basically repurposing old uniforms that were put in storage because they had a devil logo on there and he just covered them up basically. So Claire Z's sitting outside Mr. Anderson's house because she's somehow involved. Uh, we, we found out you, when when Simon and Maddie were talk were hiding in in the closet, Mr. Anderson's room. He's talking to someone on the phone, talking about you know saying about giving Maddie money. So it's like who was he talking to? So they were able to get in there. They they found out he was talking to Claire. So 
Claire is outside Mr. Anderson's house. She's trying to text him. She's like, come on, come on. Where are you? And everything. And then like the squad car drives by and, you know, she's tries acting like normal and everything like that. And she just like looks at the house and she's like curses. So she's like itching to talk to him. What is all that about? That, that kind of tells me she's probably not involved. Right. Could you, although I, I guess maybe she is involved. You know, they, they're, yeah, they're throwing out red herrings left and right, but maybe this is, you know, maybe somehow she is involved. I'm saying probably not. But I guess we'll, we'll see. We do find out a little bit more today. So Wally, meanwhile, is super excited because homecoming, the homecoming game is coming up. And, you know, he's all about football and sports and everything like that. Rhonda tries to be positive because she wants Mr. Martin to help her, you know, move on, you know, for, to, so she can get out of there. And, you know, he wonders, like, where's Maddie at? It's like, does anyone see her? Uh, Charlie and Rhonda both, they both offered to, to go look for her. But then Charlie's like, oh, no, I, I'll stay and, and help blow up balloons, you know, basically make Wally happy because it's all about the, the game for him. And then uh, Rhonda decides, you know, she's like, do you still want me to go? And he's like, oh, no. He's like, why don't you just stay here? Because there's so much that needs to be done and everything like that. And it was, it was almost like the way he said it to her, like he knows that she's trying to be more cooperative because you know she does want to try to move on so is he like holding it against her it's like is he in she i don't think he's in charge of people moving on i don't know what's up with him i he seems like too young to be a teacher how did he die i guess that's a big question it's like why is he there but i don't i don't really trust him claire z and her cronies are staring at this other girl like in the cafeteria because they all have like these little tables like campaigning for homecoming queen which is just so bizarre and simon's sitting at a table you know in the cafeteria he's like talking to maddie about claire he's acting like he's on the phone because this other guy sits across from him and then he like gets up and leaves Maddie, uh, or no, because he's like, he has, he's like, how are you two even friends? You know, how are you friends with her anyways? And Maddie says that, you know, they were neighbors. So, you know, it was easy. And then Simon asks if Claire just ditched her one day for her robotic sheep. And she's like, mm, not exactly. So we get a flashback. Maddie's mom's like having an off day. She's, you know, she's looking for stuff. She's like in the kitchen and everything like that. And then there's like a knock on the door. So Maddie said, you know, she was 12 years old. She didn't know how bad things were for Claire at home too, because her parents had been fighting and Claire was just, she was scared. She needed a place to go. Maddie opens the door a crack. She's like, you can't come in. You have to go. And she like closes the door and like locks it. And Claire keeps knocking. She's like, Maddie, please, you know, let me, I, you know. So then present day Maddie says that, you know, she couldn't help her because, you know, there's nothing she could do because her mom's like on edge and like, you know, about to just lose it and everything. Then Claire moved in with her dad for a year her mom married a rich guy, the, the guy whose face is all over the bus bench. He's like a real estate guy or something like that. And then when she came back to Split River for middle school, she looked right through Maddie like she wasn't there. And then they never talked after that. So Simon's like, well, what if she's holding on to that? You know, what if it's all about revenge? And this is the thing that, that kind of bugs me about Simon. You know, he means well and all that, but he's just like so quick to jump to conclusions and when he comes up with ideas it's like he's just like dead set like 100 percent. this is what it is it's like why don't you just maybe think about it and try to get some more you know evidence or something like that xavier meanwhile is over at maddie's he's like with her with sandra i think it's her name, right oh with taking out like recycling she's on the phone uh, she finds out that they found maddie's backpack and she you know she tells xavier it was at this deserted house and you know she's gives him a dress. He's like, yeah, I, I think I've been by there. He, you know, he's passed by the house. He said it always looked empty. And then he says that uh, 
or she says that his father thinks someone may have been squatting there. So she thinks she's like, it's got to be Maddie, right? You know, maybe she's just too scared to come home. She's like, you know, I have so much to do because, you know, she wants Maddie to know that things are going to be different, you know, with her drinking and all that. So he's like, well, you know, my free period is almost over. He's like, I can stay, you know, help out in the garage. She's like, oh, no, you've, you've done enough. You know, you, you need to get to school. Maddie and Charlie, they get a hold of, of Claire's purse and they like dump it out because, you know, like, again, when they reach something, grab something in ghost form, it like makes a copy somehow. So there's nothing really in there with like sunglasses, lip gloss, and mints and whatever. One of the other girls wonders, like, I wonder if Mr. Anderson will be chaperoning the dance. And the other was like, Can you chaperone while wearing an ankle monitor? And they're like joking and stuff like that. But Claire is just like in a daze, like not laughing or anything like that. Then they're like, What's wrong? They're like, Or are you, are your parents pissed because they know, donated a lot of money to the boosters? You know, she doesn't really say anything. And then she gets up when she sees the principal. So she says that her parents want to know what's going on with Mr. Anderson and the money he stole. And the principal's like, Oh, she's like, Let's not toss toxic words around like that. So he says that he would like to assure her parents that they put, you know, Mr. Anderson on administrative leave and the police are investigating. She's like, it's been a week. You know, has he admitted anything? So you know, a lot of time is going by here, which you didn't realize that. And, you know, you know, was he working with anyone? Was he alone? Maddie tells Charlie that she's fishing. You know, she's trying to get information. Claire says, her, you know, her parents are going to be mad that, you know, if they get dragged into scandal, you know, that might be the last check that they ever write to the school. And then she like leaves and the principal's like, like oh, Claire, Claire, you know, because he obviously wants money for the school. Rhonda comes up and says that they still need to work on Wally's banner. And Charlie says like, oh, you know, we got distracted or whatever. And she's like, yeah, you know, you've been gone for hours. Like there are still people who depend on you, you know, dead people. Nicole talks to Simon about the backpack because she just found out. And he's like, from who? You know, who's your source? And then he's like, oh, let me guess, Xavier. She's like, why are you yelling at me? And he's like, did they find anything else aside, a weapon? And she's like, why, why don't you just ask him yourself? And then Xavier walks up and Simon won't look at him. He's like, at, you know, digging in his lock or whatever. Xavier says it was at an old house that, that they're going to tear down. And he's like, who's they? And he's like, Claire's father, because they owned a whole block. Well, of course they do. You know, Simon's just like so like jerky and everything. Xavier says that just because they own it doesn't mean Claire had anything to do with it. And Simon's like, oh, sure, defend Claire. And Nicole's like, that's not what he's saying. And then Simon says, he's like, well, you know, I know things or whatever. And Xavier's like, like what? And he's like, you know, just last week you thought I had something to do with it. And Simon's like, well, maybe I still do. So Xavier's just like, whatever. He just like leaves. Nicole's like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, you, you take brooding sad boy to Horicon and now you believe everything he says? She's like, I asked you first, but you said no. You know, why are you trying so hard to push me away? She's like, did it occur to you that I wasn't ready to lose two friends? And Simon's like, Nicole, I'm sorry. And she just walks away because he's being such a jerk to her. Wally and Maddie are working on Wally's banner. Maddie wonders, like, you know, why don't they just steal the decorations? And he's like, well, you know, technically they did with the stuff because you know, the paint and everything like that. He's like, plus it's tradition to, you know, uh, someone says, I, th- I think Charlie might have said it's tradition to relive Wally's glory days once a year because it turns out he died at the homecoming game. And he, Wally says that his parents still show up. Then Maddie sees her mom like in the gym, she's, like asking directions because she's looking for Miss Ms. Fields' room, the, like the history teacher. Simon I mean, then goes to Mr. South, the custodian, and he was like looking at his phone, and he like sets it down, so it seems a little little suspicious. So I was like, "What's up with that?" But the phone's silver, so it's not Maddie's phone or copy or whatever. 
Simon says that he needs a key to Mr. Anderson's room. And South says the cops told him to keep it locked. He's like, sorry, you know. But then Simon's like, he's like, I left my notebook in there and I needed to study. And he's like, I'll only be there for a second. He's like, no one will know. And he's like, well, I'll know. Simon's like, okay. And then he's like, well, you know, actually it was my friend's notebook and it's, it's kind of all I have left. So South is like, okay. He gives him some keys. He's like, you have 10 minutes. So he, he felt sorry for him. Maddie's mom tells Fields that they found Maddie's backpack and, you know, she just wants to be ready for when she returns. And, you know, she's like, she doesn't want her daughter's absence to affect her, you know, applying to colleges like that. And Mrs. Fields like, like, oh, yeah, you know, I know she was applying to Northwestern. She's like, I went there and I think, you know, Maddie will fit in nicely. And her mom's like kind of surprised. She's like, oh, I, I didn't know that. Because and she's like, yeah, I, I know I haven't been too involved with Maddie's school. You know, I'm not like mother year or anything like that. But, you know, I want to be different for Maddie. And, you know, and Maddie's there, you know, her ghost, she's just like staring at her and, you know, she walks out and she even tries like calling after her, but then she sees Simon in Anderson's room. So then it's like, okay, go after your mom, go figure out what, what the heck Simon's doing. Obviously, you know, she, no point going after her mom. She can't talk to her. So she goes to Simon and he's like, you're not going to believe this. But he sees that she's distracted and she's like, oh, she says her mom was there and she wasn't drunk at all. And she was you know, really put together. You know, it's, it's been so long since she's seen her so normal. And Simon is like, well, do you want to see something not so normal? Claire's English papers are, are there. He's like, read this one. And there's like an A on there. So she starts reading it. It's about 1984. And she's like, yeah, so what? Then he's like, okay, read this one. She starts reading it. Same exact paper, word for word, but it's for the scarlet letter. And he's like, it's the same for Pride and Prejudice, Lord of the Flies, and then there were none for Hamlet. It's like, they're all the same. She's like, she read one book this year and got straight A's. The question is, why? So Maddie agrees. He's like, yeah, this is big. She's like, but we can't look into it right now. And she's like, Simon, she's like, did you see my mom? She was so, if all this comes out, it just means that the mom that I saw go away, maybe she never comes back. And he's like, so what, we just let Claire get away with whatever's going on and maybe play a part in her death? And Maddie's like, She's like, it's Claire. If, if she just paid someone off, whatever, you know, she's like, I'm still dead. And for now, it means that my mom can still have a life. So she's she's starting like, maybe I don't really want to find out what happened, you know, because with her mom having this hope that she's coming back, she's staying clean. You know, she's not drinking. Anderson walks out of his house, he like locks the door. And then when he turns around, like Claire's there and like kind of startles him. And she's like, hey, why haven't you answered my text? And he's like, you need to leave right now. And she's like, what'd you tell the cops? He's like, go home, Claire. She's like, I need to know what you said. He's like, I told them the truth, that I took that money to pay off my dad's debt. And that's where I was the night Maddie disappeared with my father. Is that all right with you? Cool. Can I go? Did you say anything about me? He's like, you know what? I don't remember. And he just like walks away. Maddie goes to the football field, sees, you know, Charlie writing in a notebook, whatever. Mr. Martin sees her. Maddie goes, uh, just to sit by the goalpost while he comes up, you know, with the football, he sits next to her. Then he remembers, um, I was like, Oh yeah, your mom was here. And he was like, how'd that go? Uh, you know, and she's like, Oh, it's happy, sad, weird, fine. He says that his parents have been coming to the games for 40 years now. And it's, it's never just fine. He's like, Oh, well, unless they win a game, you know, then it's a different story. But he says that his mom always told him to, to be the best that he could, you know, on or off the team. Maddie's like, didn't you die in a field? And he's like, yeah, right over there, right on the five yard lines. He's like, I heard my neck crack. He's like, but it didn't hurt at all. He's like, what hurt was that I didn't die in the end zone. He's like, I could have given my, my mom one more W. Then it's night. Xavier goes to the abandoned house and he's like, hello. And he's using his like phone light. 
It seemed like there, I, I thought there was a shadow. So it almost looks like, like, was there someone there? Did, did he not see that? And he just doesn't know. And he's just like walking around and he looks in the basement. Then he goes in the back room and someone like jumps out the window, but he can't see who they are. So he like runs to the window and they're, they're gone. At the homecoming game, Rhonda is, is trying to act like she has spirit. She tells Mr. Martin that, you know, she's like, oh, I'd go out there and tackle someone if I thought it'd get me to cross over. Then Wally runs out. Maddie, like, gives him thumbs up and all that. Claire arrives late, and the cheerleader's like, oh, thank God you're here. The JV cheerleaders are are ruining the pregame. And she's like, well, I'm here, okay. And she just, like, snaps at her. Xavier's at um, Maddie's uh, mom's, whatever. Simon rides up on his bike. He's like, what are you doing here? He's like, you know, he's taking bottles away. Or, or no, maybe maybe he's not. No, they weren't bottles. They were bins. I thought he had, they were, they're bins with uh, flyers, what they're doing. Because, <laughs> but so he's just like, what are you doing here? And he asked Simon, he's like, can you just get off my back? And he's like, why are you here? And Simon's like, well, I came to ask, ask Sandra about Maddie's backpack. And Xavier's like, well, you could have just asked me. He's like, I just went to the house where they found it. And Simon's like, you what? Why would you do that? And Xavier's like, because I want answers too, Simon. He's like, no matter how hard it is for you to believe. And he's like, did you find something? He's like, not something, someone. He's like, you're serious? All right, who was it? He's like, well, I didn't see their face. They flew out the, you know, the, the second they saw me. He's like, do you think it was Claire? He's like, it's too hard to tell. Maybe. He's like, honestly, it could have been anyone. Then Sandra comes out and she's like, oh, hey, Simon. She hugs him or like that. She's like, are you here, here to help? And he's like, uh, help with what? So they want to pass out flyers at the game because she's like, if they're plastered in enough places that maybe Maddie will see them, she knows that it's, it's time to come home, you know, right? And Xavier tells him, he's like, throw your bike in the, in the back of the truck and we can, you know, head over there. At the game, Maddie's just like staring at Claire. Mr. Martin asks Ron, he's like, what's that all about? And then he also is like, what's up with, what's Charlie working on? You know, what's he been doing in that notebook all day? Ron just like shrugs. And then he's, he thinks that everyone's lost focus lately. He asks, you know, Ron, he's like, can you keep an eye on her? He's like, I'd hate for her to lose her way. You know, she's come so far, just like you have. And, and then Wally comes up. He points out his mom to Maddie, and she's, like, yelling and cheering, something like that. And he mentions an empty seat next to her. Maddie's like, is that for your dad? He's like, nah. He's like, my dad stopped coming, like, 15 years ago. He's like, I think it's, it's for me. So Sandra's passing out flyers at the game. Xavier's dad and the cops are there just, like, looking around. Claire gets up, she starts like walking away and she goes to the garbage can, she like throws up. So it's like, is, did she throw up because of the cops? Is she was nervous about something? Did she clear it, kill Maddie? And you know, why was she late? Was she at the house? I'm thinking no, but we don't know. Miss Fields, she shows up, she's helped passing out flyers and um, she asked for something to you know, pass around her neighborhood. Like, and Sandra asked if anyone's talked to Mr. Anderson. And she's like, no. She's like, I think his, his lawyer said not to talk to anyone. It's like, all we've heard is that, you know, he's turned over the money. But it's like, how do you turn over the money if you use it to pay his dad's debt? Sandra s- says that, you know, he was so, so kind of Maddie. And then she's like, well, if, if it's true, you know, people could be more than one thing. And, you know, if, if he was just stealing the money, I don't blame him. You know, teachers don't get paid enough. Then Nicole goes up to Miss Fields because Sandra like steps away to you know do something. So Nicole's like, "Can't we, can't you just make Anderson talk?" And you know, what if he had something to do with Maddie going away? She's like, "Well, it's, it's not up to us. You know, we just have to wait and see." Maddie's sitting at like a little table while he comes up with like hot dog and soda and like fries. And then she says that they kind of stress her out. And he's like, "Oh, is it the shape?" And she like smiles, whatever. But he, she says that when her mom drank. Her mom only cared about what there was to drink. So Maddie had to get creative. And what do all 13-year-olds know how to cook? 
so you know, she tried all these different like hot dog dishes, like you know beef and franks and whatever and everything like that. Then she says that it's really impressive that his mom's still celebrating something he loved. And he basically says that he didn't love it. He was good at it, but he only played for her. And she's like, you never told her? He's like, no way. He's like, that'd break her heart. And she's like, Wally, you don't have to keep doing it. He's like, well, I'm not sure what else like, I could do. Then he, then he asks, because you know, Xavier's there, he's like, is it weird seeing him? She's like, you know, not so much anymore, you know, especially since I'm 95% sure he didn't have anything to do with it. But it's weird seeing him pass out flyers with my face on it. And then like some other people sit at the table and she looks at one of the flyers closely and she's like, wait, that's my mom's favorite photo of me. It's like, how did Xavier get it? Then she sees her mom's also passing out flyers. And she's like, what does it say about me that I'd never want to know what happened to me if it meant my mom would stay sober? Wally's like, well, you know, what does it say about me that I keep coming back to the field that I died on to watch the game that killed me because I think it'll make my mom proud? She says that, you know, maybe to hope that she'll come back some days enough to keep her mom sober. Wally's like, but you're not, you know, you're not coming back. So Simon's out of flyers. Mrs. Fields says that there's, you know, more in this box nearby. His phone chimes. And at the same time, Nicole and Xavier's phones go off. So it's a video of Anderson and Claire like arguing in a parking lot. So someone's filming it. And she's like, maybe you've forgotten what we've talked about. And he's like, oh, I absolutely have not. But I'm going to get caught. And so are you if we're not smart about this. And she's like, well, you should have thought about that before you stole the money. My parents' money. He's like, I'm doing everything you ask, okay? Listen, I can't get anything less than an A. It's important. So just do what you said you do. Your secret will be safe. Got it? So then the three meet up. Xavier says, like, oh, you got it too? And Nicole's like, yeah, you know, why us? And Simon's like, and who the hell recorded it? So Wally sits next to his mom, you know, in the bleachers. And, you know, he thinks back to the game. It, um, so his mom came down to him because he, he was sitting on a bench. And he, he, Wally's like, mom, you shouldn't be down here. She's like, well, you shouldn't be sitting on the bench. And Wally's like, you know, coach said he, I should rest my knee and he'll put me in later. And she doesn't have to worry. And she's like, later doesn't win scholarships, Wally. Okay. Wally's like, okay, I, I think he's right. And she's like, if he was always right, he'd be coaching the pros, not putting high school kids on a bench. It's like, you need to march over to coach and tell him that you're fine. Then he looks at his mom and, you know, obviously 40 years later, whatever. Maddie looks over at him. Then he stands up, takes off his jersey. Then her mom is like, she like kind of turns. Her mom's like right there next to her, like looking. It's, it's like she's looking at her, but she's really looking in the crowd. She's probably looking to see if Maddie showed up there or anything like that. She's clearly disappointed. So she just like walks away. Then Simon walks up to her and says that they need to talk. And then he's like, watch. So he plays the video. He's like, if Claire knows about this video and thinks that maybe you recorded it, that's motive. And then he looks over at Wally and, and then her mom. She looks over at Wally and then at her mom. She's like, I'm no better than him. And he's like, who? He's like, who, who are we talking about? She's like, I can't protect my mom by giving up. She has to know that I'm not coming home, good or bad. She has to move on. So do I. So what do we do now? Nicole is talking to Xavier and says, like, you didn't know about this? He's like, he says, no. He's like, I only know what Simon said about Mr. Anderson's phone call and the money. So she asks, are you sure that's all he knows? Xavier's like, what the fudge, Nicole? She's like, I only took Maddie's phone to delete the stupid cheating text. But Claire must have stolen it, you know, switched it with a blank one. Then he sees Claire, like, walk out. And he, he says, he's like, maybe, you know, I should just show the video to my dad. And she's like, you can't. He'll think that you had something to do with it. We don't have time to keep clearing your name. Then Sandra comes up with empty bins. She's like, you know, I think I'm done for tonight. She's like, this was too much. She's like, can we just go home? You know, he's like, are you okay? 
She's like, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, it's just too much. So then he gets a text from Simon to meet in the parking lot. Nicole's like, well, I can take you. And Xavier's like, are, are you sure? He's like, I just need to take care of something. So then she's like, yeah, just text me if anything happens. So Claire is just sitting on a bench by the game. She's in a daze. So again, something's up with Claire. Xavier meets with Simon. He asks, he's like, what are we going to do about the video? Simon's like, what you are going to do is win back Claire's confidence and then crack her. He's like, how am I supposed to do that? Maddie tells, you know, Maddie's there. So she tells Simon to tell him to ask her to the homecoming dance. Xavier's like, he's like, are you pooping me? She's like, she hates me. And then he's like, when Claire disappeared, I pushed her away. It really pissed her off. She didn't want anything to do with me. Maddie's like, apologize, send her a text. So Simon's like, apologize, send her a text. So he's like, well, what am I supposed to say? So Maddie and Simon both like, I'll tell you. <laughs> then Maddie's like, I know I hurt you. I feel your sadness and I'm sorry. I feel your anger and I deserve that. I wish I could erase what happened. And if there's anything I can do to make it up to you, I want to try. I miss you. I want to be with, and obviously she's pausing so Simon can do this. I miss you. I want to be with you. Go to the homecoming dance with me. And then like Maddie kind of turns and everything and Simon whispers, are you okay? And Xavier's like, yeah, man, I'm good. Because <laughs> obviously Maddie's upset. So that's probably like what she would want to hear from him. So Claire reads a text, but then she just sets her phone down because she has to cheer. So is she going to buy it? Is she not? Wally sees Maddie, and then he wants to thank her because he feels free. He says he doesn't think that he's ever met anyone like her before. And Maddie's like, well, you know, I've definitely never been to a football game before. He's like, well, you know, I've never been able to talk to anyone like that before. And then he's like, do you want to go dance with me as, as friends? Yeah, it's, it's your, your first time. And, and she's like, sure, Wally. And he's like, okay, it's like, that's cool. It's really cool. Then Simon comes up to her, says it might be a stretch, but he might know who sent the video. So Simon and Maddie go to Mr. South. He asks him if he gave the keys to help him or because he wanted to say something. And South says, like, if I want to say something, I'd say it. Simon's like, well, when I came to you in the morning, you were watching a video and you hid it from me. He's like, now we get this video and I'm thinking it could be you. He's like, Simon, I was hiding it because I didn't want you to get hurt. Ever, ever since they found your friend's blood on the wall, all sort of looky-loos have been you know, coming down here. It's like I had to document everything for the school district. And he shows um, Simon the video on his phone. He's like, it's different. People wrote things on that wall there that were disrespectful. So Maddie goes to look. It's like hard to read. All I, I saw was like death lives here. There's like names or I don't know what it was. So at Nicole's car, you know, Sandra apologizes for making her leave early. She's like, oh, no, it's fine. And then Sandra asks if she thinks that Maddie will forgive her and come home. She says that she'd like to think that we all would be forgiven for anything, you know, if our heart's in the right place. And her, Sandra's like, can I get a hug? And she's like, of course. They hug. She's like, I needed that. Nicole's like, you can just get in the car. It's like, I'll put these in the trunk. Then she kind of acts weird when she does it. She opens, she kind of looks around before she opens the trunk. We don't see like, so it's almost like something's in a trunk, but like what the heck is in there? Cause we don't see anything. They don't show us anything. She just kind of looks both ways, opens the truck, puts the bins in there and it shuts it. So it just seemed weird. Maddie's still, you know, looking when Simon keeps uh, talking to Mr. South and then she calls out, she's like, ask South where this door leads to. So it turns out there's a fallout shelter. So Simon said, Mr. South said it had been there since the Cold War, hasn't been used in decade. Then he's like, wait, we can talk down here. Does that mean someone died? And she's like, yeah, but who? 
then there's this other door event or something like that. And he's like, where do you think this goes to? And Simon's like, I don't know, but I'm going to guess this is how Claire dragged your body out of here. Which again, maybe it is, but it's just the fact that he's like automatically, he's like, he's 100% sold. Claire's is guilty. You know, guilty until proven innocent. Maybe, but I don't know. It just seems like it's just super extreme. And he's going to feel like an idiot because, you know, he, he was so sure it was Xavier. Now he's so, so sure. It's like, make up your mind, dude. Just relax. That was uh, that episode. I, I, I like the show. All right, with Superman and Lois, season three, episode three, In Cold Blood. It, this episode did it to me again. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Part of me, I, I'm a little reluctant, you know, because we, we have the whole cancer threat, cancer scare. And I feel like, I mean, it's a, it's a serious topic. I mean, if, if, if you've ever had anyone in your family fighting cancer, died from cancer, I mean, it's, it's something that can be very personal. And it, it's something that it can happen. You know, it, it's, it's a, a, with the reality, I, I think about it. So I feel like it's not something that should just be used casually, that should be taken lightly. At the same time, it's, you know, you, you have any, any trauma dilemma of the week, you know, like, oh, let, let's do an episode about, you know, gun shooting, you know, at, at school. That, that's like such a touchy subject. Or let's do something about rape. Let's do something about, you know, anything. Anything can, you know, tug at the, you know, not the heartstrings, but it's just, it could be personal. And sometimes it feels like, in my opinion, that when your you know regular series drama show they try taking something from the headlines that it, it feels like it's a gimmick that they're just trying to do this to try to you know connect or relate or get people i don't know is that the case maybe it is maybe not regardless they're doing such a good job with it I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I think part of it, the reason or part of the thing that well, how it affects me, because it just it makes me very sad when I, I watch this. You know, I, I get emotional. I, I'm not going to lie about that. I think what it is part of it, because we have such an awesome Superman. We have an awesome, you know, Lois Lane, too. They're so, so great here. I'm, I'm so blown away with each episode because when we first saw them. I was just like, yeah, you know, they're fine. Okay, whatever. You know, here's just another version. It's an, you know another version on the CW, whatever. But they they just do such a good job. So I, I think the fact that they're really selling these characters. So you really say this is Superman. You you see how powerful he is and how good he is because you know Superman. Like as some people don't quite understand it. Superman is you know essentially to his core, he is a good person. You know, he is always going to do the right thing he's he's going to go out of his way to do you know whatever he can to save everyone else he's never going to snap someone's neck <laughs> oh man so the, the fact that superman is so powerful and so good you know so noble there's not a damn thing he can do about it here and, and that's what makes it hard because you see him that you know he can stop a flood he can you know do whatever he can catch a plane falling but he can't protect the one person that he loves more than anyone, you know, uh, there's his kids, yeah. But he can't do anything. So it's Clark wakes up suddenly. Then he hears Lois screaming, Clark! So he flies up out of the atmosphere. You know, he's trying to pinpoint where she is. He flies to the city. I'm assuming it's Metropolis. Buildings are starting to cave in. You know, he's flying over. like just well, something's going on. He's like, Clark, where are you? 
The city's just crumbling around him. Then he sees Lois outside the Daily Planet. The, the Daily Planet's starting to crumble. And, you know, she's standing in the front. She's screaming his name. He's flying faster and faster. The the big, giant globe, you know, planet at the top, it starts falling over because the whole building's falling. It's it's going to land right on her. She screams, this is Clark. He flies faster and faster. Planet falls on the top. It's, like, it's going to land on top of her. She's just standing there. She's, like, reaching. And he flies. And it looks like, did he grab her at the last second? But then he wakes up for real this time. And and you can hear, so his heart's like pounding. And then he looks like Lois is sleeping beside him. So Clark, Superman's having like nightmares. You know, he's, and this is what I was just saying. He could do all this stuff. There, there could be, you know, the whole world could be in chaos. And there's not a single thing he can do in this situation to protect Lois. How he can't, he can't fly in and just, you know, punch the cancer. So then in the morning in the kitchen, Lois calls Lucy and she's like, oh, hey, you know, sorry, I haven't called you, whatever. She's like, that's fine. She's like, I need to tell you something. And then, she, you know, she's telling Lana, Kyle and, and Sarah. And then she tells Chrissy, you know, she's like, I have stage three, you know, and I forgot what it was. And then uh, Chrissy's like, stage three. And she's like, yeah, it hasn't spread to distant organs, but um, it may have spread to nearby muscles and lymph nodes. Then, you know, we see her, she's telling you know, John Henry and that, then she tells Sam and, um, she said that she's starting chemo this week and then surgery, then radiation. And Sam's like, you know, he's sitting there, he's like, is there any Kryptonian technology in your fortress can help? Clark's like, my mother said, there's nothing that she can do. You know, the, the whole, whatever of his mom. And Sam just looks defeated. And Lois is like, I'm going to get through this dad. And he's like, I know you are. He's like, he can like barely get it out. His like, his voice is starting to crack. He's like, you're the strongest person I know. And then he just puts his head down on the table and he, he like starts crying. And, you know, I'm sure he wants to be, you know, a strong parent or anything like that, but he, he can't help it. I mean, it's, it's your kid. Lois heads to over to the Gazette just because uh, um, she, you know, she's about to leave. The judge sent some um, sealed files over about Mannheim. So the judge is going to work with them. Uh, so she and Chrissy are going to start going through them. And Clark's like, you remember you have your first treatment today, right? And she's like, well, that's why I'm getting Chrissy up to speed so she can spearhead the investigation. Then they hear like dishes clattering. So they go in the kitchen. The boy said that they heard chemo affects your appetite and your taste buds and stuff like that. So they made all her favorites. John Henry's setting up uh, Sarah and Lana with like this security system. They have to like, look at the scanner and it, like they have to say their name and it kind of scans their faces. You know, like a 3D model or something like that. Then he's like, oh, we just need Sophia and Kyle to do the same. And Lana's like, oh, you know, Kyle won't be necessary. And John Henry just kind of looks at Sarah and, and she just like shakes her head like, oh. <laughs> Sarah asks, she's like, is this designed to keep bad people out or just me in? And Lana's like, a little, a little bit of both right now. And she's like, come home directly after school. And, she, and Sarah's like, why am I the only one grounded? She's like, Nat went too and Mr. Irons didn't ground her. Lana's like, she didn't lie about going to a party in Metropolis. Sarah's like, well, I have dinner with dad after school. So unless I can't go to dad either. And she like walks out of the kitchen. And then Lana's like, come home right after. Then Lana says to John Henry, she's like, I love her. But he just kind of like laughs. He's like, I totally understand. And Lana's like, well, you did a great job with Nat. He's like, well, I can't take all the credit. You know, it was mostly her mom. Then Lana's like, oh, it must be hard, you know, with, with all the stuff going on with Lois. And he's like, you know, um, he's like, I definitely feel for her, but she's not my wife. Just like, ouch, that's a little cold, John Henry. At the Gazette, Chrissy's asking, she's like, what if I can't read your handwriting? And Lois like, well, I'm handing over years of investigation, so reading my handwriting is a price of admission. 
and you know she, they're looking through all this stuff that they got they're like no one in, in the files are connected to inner gang Chrissy says well there is one other prisoner that the judge issued a compassionate release you know for it's like James DeStefino no connection to Mannheim but he was this tech genius turned elite killer then Lois notices a physician's signature, A.H. She's like, that rings a bell. So she looks through their files. She finds, like, Alistair Hook. He was a doctor at Hobbs Bay Medical, and rumor was that he fixed up Bruno's guys, but she could never prove it. Clark is at the medical center. Um, he's trying to find – he's trying to call Lois, but he can't find her because he was going to meet her for her chemo treatment. Lois and Chrissy go over to this medical place because uh, this Alistair Hook guy worked at these different clinics or something like that. It's like kind of like a chain of clinics. I don't know. They go there. The place is kind of abandoned. There's like some fresh blood on this piece of plastic. So Lois is like, oh, we can take a DNA, you know, like that. So she takes out this forensic kit. And and Chrissy's like, you just happen to have a forensic kit? She's like, oh, it was a, a birthday present from my father or, or something like that. So she like swabs the blood and everything like that. And then Chrissy's like, why is Clark texting if, if I know where you're at? Then Lois thinks for a second. She's like, I missed my appointment. And Chrissy's like, appointment for what? And she's like, for chemo? She's like, that's today? And she's like, he, she, Chrissy's like, he's going to be so mad at me. She's like, I don't want Superman mad at me. And she's like, I'm mad at you. And Lois is like, I got swept up in the case. And Chrissy's like, and what? I'm your accomplice? She's like, this is not okay, Lois. Lois is like, I can reschedule. And then Chrissy's like, you're going to text Clark back right now, and then I'm going to watch you reschedule that appointment. So Lois just like grabs her phone and texts him. You know, She's like, sorry, I got caught up on a lead. Be home soon. Sam comes into the house. He's saying, he was like, oh, I got some things for Lois. Is she upstairs? And Clark's like, no, she's on her way back from investigation. And he's like, you let Lois miss chemo for an investigation? And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, I didn't let her do anything. He's like, there was a break with the case. I don't give a damn about the case. There's always going to be a case. You can't let her be selfless right now, Clark. And he's like, I'll talk to her. But it's the thing. He's like, he let her miss. He's like, he's not, he can't make her do whatever. At the diner, the, uh, the boys and Sarah and Nat are, are talking about, you know, Lois feeling sick after chemo, and Jonathan says that, you know, everyone reacts differently, so they'll just have to wait and see how it affects her. Sarah's like, this sucks. She's like, I wish we could do something. And that's like, well, maybe we can get her a gift. The boys are like, she's impossible to shop for. It's like, she returns everything. And that's like, well, it'd be something she can't return. And she's like, I just got to, you know, text my dad first. And then uh, Candace, Jonathan's girlfriend, is a waitress at the diner. She then she's at the table. She says to Nat, she's like, oh, I heard you met a boy at a party. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, I didn't get his number or anything like that. And, you know, she's like, what? And they're like, Sarah's like, yeah, we had to leave because I got in a fight with some boys or something like that. And she's Candace's like, oh, I definitely didn't hear about that. Then Candace gives Jonathan like this big smooch and the others are kind of feeling awkward. They're like, um. so then, you know, she goes back to work. Then they kind of look at him and that's like, uh, is there anything else that you didn't tell her about the party and he's like what you mean eliza he's like well there's a there's a lot going on and jordan's like you can't use mom as, like, as an excuse he's like well it was just a kiss and sarah's like from your ex he's like it was just a kiss and jordan's like from your ex-girlfriend and that's like who got you a gold bracelet and sarah's like what you're still wearing <laughs> oh jonathan what are you doing so lois explains to clark there's a lead in the case and he's like, you think I care about Bruno right now? He's like, you skipped chemo, Lois. And she's like, it was an honest mistake. I legitimately forgot. And Clark's like, well, you can't just forget. So he says that, you know, the, the boys woke up at the crack of dawn to make her breakfast. And she's like, I didn't ask for that. And he's like, 
I know, but they're worried about you. Just like your dad is worried about you. Everyone in his family is trying to help you get your to your, your treatment. And she's like, yeah, but Bruno Mannheim is my white whale. This is a story of a lifetime. Besides, I already rescheduled for tomorrow. And he's like, great, I'll go with, all right? Sarah's complaining to her dad. She's like, I don't understand how four kids go to party and I'm the only one who gets grounded. And Kyle's like, well, you're the only one who didn't tell anyone where you were going. And she's like, I knew you'd take her side. And he's like, no. It's like, there are no sides here. It's like, we both just want what's best for you. You know, mom is still dealing with everything after attack. And he's like, how is, how is your mom holding up? And Sarah's like, oh, she's pretty rattled and whatever. Then he's like, you know, I was thinking of asking the sheriff to send a, a patrol car around once in a while. And she's like, oh, you don't have to do that. It's like, we got a new security system in installed. So Kyle's kind of surprised. He's like, the other one's like like a year old. You know, it sounds like someone's you know trying to make money off of this. And she's like, oh, no, you know, Mr. Irons put it in. And he's like, the guy who lives off Main Street is like, what the hell does he know about security? And Sarah's like, I don't know. He's like, I didn't check his resume. So because remember at, at the the boy's birthday party, Kyle kind of he noticed uh, John Henry and Lana like talking together. So he was like, are they you know, flirting? There's something going on. But this was like right before he hooks up with Chrissy. So Nat finds uh, John Henry. You know, he's, he's just sitting and looking at his computer. And he's watching footage. She's like, is that the person who attacked you at Lana's office? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how their power worked. And then uh, he says, like, you text me, you wanted to ask me something. She's like, yeah, the boys want to do something nice for Lois. And I was thinking that maybe, you know, we could give her mom's watch. And he's like, why would you do that? And that's like, I mean, you know, I could engrave all her names on it, show her that we're all rooting for her, you know, that we care. He's like, well, I'm sure you could find something else to give her. And and that's like, it's why I made it in the first place. It's kind of perfect. He's like, she's not your mother. And that's like, I know that. I just want to do this for her. It's important to me that he's like, do what you want. He's like, it's your watch. And he just like, like kind of turns around and goes back to looking at the video. And that's just like, what, what the heck? So Jonathan uh, gives Candace a ride home. And she's like, oh, sorry. He's like, I know you have a lot going on. He's like, no, it's okay. He's like, I wanted to see you. And then um, he starts bringing up the party. But then her dad comes out, you know, because they're like in this, living in a trailer or something like that. And then he tells Ken, he's like, oh, you get inside. He's like, you too, Romeo. And she's like, dad, you quit trying to scare us. Jonathan's like, oh, you know, I should probably get back to my mom. And he says goodnight. Or she says goodnight. She goes inside. And then uh, her dad's just like sitting up there. You know, he's got a beer in his hand. I don't know if I mentioned that. And he's like, oh, that's a nice truck you got there. She's like, what'd you pay for it? And he's like, uh, I'm not sure. It was a gift. He's like, that's a hell of a gift. And he's like, you better get on home then. Night, John boy. So it's like, this guy is such a creep. Clark has a nightmare again. This time, he's not fast enough. It's clear this time he's not fast enough to reach her because you know he definitely doesn't get there. And then he wakes up again, you know, heart beating. At the treatment center, he like hears something. You know, they're sitting there because first she's like, oh, this chair's uncomfortable. He's like, do you want to switch? And she's like, then you'll be uncomfortable. He's like, that's fine. But then he hears a hear something and uh she's like what is it he's like mm -hmm, mm -mm -mm. and then then he's like it's it's a mudslide in nepal and she's like just go she's like i'll be fine she's like you sure so he goes nat shows the boys to watch she says that it doesn't need a battery because it runs on kinetic energy and jordan's like oh it must be pretty expensive and john henry's like it's priceless because she made it and then they're like wow that must have taken forever because you know they're, they're looking at it with like one of those big like magnifying glasses you know, like the parts or something like that because you know she's going to engrave it or whatever and then she says that you know dad helped her and you know jonathan's like oh it's awesome that you're letting her give it to his mom and john henry's like it was that decision and he just like walks out like to the other side of the room back to his computer and jordan asks nat it's like is he okay with this 
And she says, well, it's my watch to give, and that's what I'm doing with it. And you can see whether he heard him say that, but clearly John Henry's bummed by this. It's like, so Lois is sitting in the waiting area. Then she kind of hears like tick, tick, the, the clock ticking, and then she hears like the reception like clicking a pen and like a phone ringing, a TV going on, and then water cooler blah, 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 bubbling, and then like her phone ding. So she's like all like super sensitive to everything, and then she gets a text from Chrissy wishing her luck. So Lois texts back right away. She's like, "Any updates on, on the other medical center locations for you know this Doctor Hook guy?" And Chrissy starts to reply. You can see she's replying something. She stops, and then she just types no, and then Lois gets up. So Chrissy is outside a medical center and Lois pulls up and she's like, what aren't you telling me? And Chrissy's like, how'd you find me? And she's like, I'm Lois Lane. I have my ways. And Chrissy's like, we're not doing this again. She's like, you've missed two appointments in two days. It's like, you need to work on your priorities. And she's like, this, I, this is my priority. So then Chrissy relents. She's like, some guys were loading trucks and she got their plates. So Lois wants to go in and look. Chrissy's like, they might come back and they had guns. Then she's like, well, we better hurry. And she starts walking towards the building. Lana is, Lana's aides think that she should talk. You know, people think that there's more to the attack than that they said. Lana's like, well, I gave them the you know DOD story. And then Kyle comes in with two coffees. And annoyingly, the coffee cups are clearly empty the way they're just waving them around like there's nothing. I don't understand why don't you at least put water in them? You know, I know there's a risk of them spilling, messing up makeup, you know, the, the wardrobe. But oh my God, it is so incredibly fake when people walk around with empty cups and it's like you are these amazing actors how can you not know how to act that you're taking a sip of a hot beverage or of any sort of beverage they're always just like bloop bloop anyway so he comes in with with the with the coffee and he's like oh is this not a good time and lana's like oh no it's fine she's like you know i've been too busy to to dwell on things you know the attack or whatever then he sees like this camera in the corner and he's like oh it looks like you beefed up security she's like yeah we had to he's like uh who set that up she's like um she's you know she's not sure why why he would ask and he's like oh sarah mentioned john henry doing the house and she's like you're not here to check on me you're here to snoop He's like, no, that's not it. He's like, I care about you. And she's like, you care about, all you care about is your fragile ego. It's like, next time you want to ask me something, ask it. Don't play these stupid little games. It's like, whoever set up my security system, that's none of your damn business. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, whatever. And she like cuts him off. She's like, I have a very busy day. Thanks for the coffee. Which again, clearly empty. (laughs) So she's like, please. Clark arrives at the clinic and then he's confused. He looks around. And he asks the receptionist, and he's like, I'm here for my wife. And they're like, what's, what's her name? And he's like, Lois Lane. And she's like, oh, she left before you know, she could start treatment. We've been trying to reach her, but she's not picking up. So Lois and Chrissy are inside the building. There's like a bunch of equipment and stuff in there. Then some guys come in. So they have to they hide in this room. But it's like a freezer, and it's full of like bags of blood like hanging. And Chrissy's like, we're in a room full of blood, and it's freezing in here. She's like, can you call Superman? So Lois takes out their little like Superman call button device, hits it, nothing happens. She tries it again, nothing. So she's like, they must have done something to the freezer. So the problem is they're in a freezer, they can't get out. And they must have like soundproofed the freezer for some insane reason. If there's just blood being stored in there, why would it need to be soundproof? But or somehow it's blocking the signal. So Superman can't can't hear them. He's out in space listening. And he can't find, hear Lois anywhere. So then he goes to the, the DOD, uh, goes to Sam and John Henry. He's like, Lois is missing. 
So he tells him that he left Lois while he went to a disaster in Nepal. Sam starts yelling at him. And he's like, there were lives at stake. She's like, my daughter's life's at stake. And John Henry like gets in between you. He's like, this isn't helping. And he asks Superman, he's like, he's like, you can't hear her? And Superman's like, no, she must be somewhere that's insulated. At the school, Jonathan tells Jordan, Nat, and Candace that his truck is gone. He got alert on, on his phone. He went out and it's gone. So someone must have taken it. Jordan's like, uh, he's like, oh, I left the watch in the council. And that's like, well, we should call the sheriff. And Jonathan's like, hold up. He's like, and he asks Candy, he's like, can I talk to you for a second? And she's like, what do you want to say to me that you can't say in front of them? He's like, well, your dad was acting kind of weird last night. And she's like, you think he stole your truck? He's like, no, but you know, he did ask how much it costs. And she's like, he was just making conversation. And Jonathan's like, it was the way he acted. And she's like, right. And the way he looked because we're poor. And she like storms off. And they're they're like it's definitely him, you know, former XK, you know, he's dealing selling that X kryptonite, whatever stuff. Um, Jonathan's like, I just don't want him to get arrested. And that's like, well, maybe if we find it ourselves, he won't have to. So Lois and Chrissy are still in the freezer. Um, they they can't hear anyone outside, so you know, maybe they're gone. You know, Chrissy's like scared. Lois like, it'll be all right. And she's like, says the person who skipped her treatment. And Lois is like, but we had a lead. Chrissy's like, no, you had an excuse. Then they, they hear the voices. They're back. So she's like, they're, they're coming. Lana comes into the kitchen. She asks her, she's like, what did you say to your father about the security system? And Sarah's like, uh, hello to you too? Lana asks if she said if there's anything between her and John Henry. She's like, no. She's like, well, your father seems to think so. And Sarah's like, well, that's his problem. I can't control what he thinks. And Lana's like, just be mindful what you tell him about me. And Lana, Sarah's like, you want to give me a list of what I can and can't say? And, and she's like, she says something. And I think she said that it was, it was self. Or she's like, it's not all about you. And she's like, what did you say? And Sarah's like, I said it's not about you. She's like, don't be selfish. And Lana's like, selfish? Everything I do is for you and your sister. And she's like, what? As, as the mayor? She's like, that's a job you took to make yourself feel important. And Lana's like, you are so ungrateful. And Sarah's like, I'm ungrateful? And she's like, yeah, you know what? She's like, go to your room. And Sarah's like, sure, boss me around like you do everyone. And she's, and Lana's like, I said, get out of my face. And then Sarah's like, that's probably why dad cheated on you. Smack across the face. <laughs> Oh man, and it was it was like see again good acting because you see like because uh, I actually like rewound it and and it, like kind of paused for a second and you could just see like Sarah's like she's got this pain like look on her face and and then so Lana's like Sarah she's like honey and Sarah just like walks out goes to her room the boys are outside just like shady area you know, there's this big building and Jonathan's like so is your X-ray vision gonna kick in anytime soon Nat flies down in her suit. And she's like, someone, I forgot her name, someone told her, she got some information. She's like, they were right. This is definitely the place. So it's, it's like a, a chop shop. So they're like, well, now what? And we call the sheriff. You know, she's like, they definitely have guns. And Johnson's like, it'll be too late. He's like, isn't this what you've been training for? Jordan's like, yeah, but that'll kill me. He told me not to do this alone. And that's like, then, you know, I'll do it myself. She's like, I'm getting that watch back. And Nat says that, you know, she, she's like, well, actually, I have an idea. So at the medical place, dude opens a freezer. Lois is standing there alone. And he's like, Lois Lane? And he points a gun at her, motions for her to move. There's three other dudes out, outside who'd have these big guns too. Then Chrissy is like, you know, she was like hiding off to the side. She's got the device and she they see her and she hits it. And then Lois is like, Superman. And then the dudes like just start scrambling. At the DOD, Superman hears. He's like, got her. Pew, takes off. 
flies, heads there, smashes through the ceiling. They point their guns at him, and he just like kind of glares. And then he like he goes whoosh, flies over, like knocks them down. And he tells Lois, he's like, get somewhere safe and call a DOD. Then this guy conveniently puts on some like kryptonite gauntlets and he blasts Superman. Oh, I've been waiting to use these. So at the the place, there's you know a bunch of dudes working inside the chop shop and different cars. And then there's like, a canister rolls in. <laughs> they all like stop. What is that? <laughs> they all stop what they're doing. Pull up their like their safety goggles or whatever. And just look at this. And then whoosh, it like opens up. All this like kind of like blue smoke or whatever just pours out. Jonathan moves because uh, they. Nat asks him if he can hold his breath or how long he can, can he hold his breath. So Jordan's, Jordan's like, um, or Jonathan's holding his breath. This dude tries to hit him with like a wrench or something like that. But then Jordan like blocks him and like pushes him. Because the whole thing is they can't let anyone see Jordan's face. You know, J- Jordan's doing all this stuff. Another one comes at him. Nat knocks him away. Another one comes at And then Jordan like f- grabs a guy, f- picks him up, whatever. So Jordan um, finds his keys. He hits a key fob and then, you know, truck lights up. He makes his way to the truck another guy tries coming at him but then he gets in he drives out jordan and that like fly out after him so superman's getting hit by his crypto blasts then he gets he's pinned against this like big post this pillar and then john henry's like flying there and sam's like calling he's like superman's vitals are failing he's like you need to get there so the guy's like blasting superman he's like actually off the off the ground being lifted up by this blast Hammer comes at him, hits the gauntlets, and then like the feedback kind of sends the guy flying back. And John Henry's like, you okay? And then the dude has this remote in his hand. He's like, you two are next. He hits it and blows up. So basically he kills himself. Big, huge ball of flame goes towards Superman and John Henry. They fly out, and then they, they land by Lois and Chrissy, and all four are just like staring at each other. Just, this place is like up in flames. So at the kitchen... What were you thinking? You know, Mannheim or anyone from Inner Gang wouldn't think twice about killing you. You didn't even tell me where you're going. You weren't even alone, Lois. You brought Chrissy with you. And she's like, I know, I know, okay, I know. Then why? Why would you do this? Especially right now when you're sick. And she's like, for that reason, right there. She's like, no matter how much I say not to, everyone is treating me like I'm fragile. She's like, and I'm not. She's like, not yet. Anyways, until I am, everyone just needs to let me be me. And so Clark's like, fine. It's like, it doesn't feel like you're taking this as seriously as you should be. And she's like, this is all I've thought about since the moment I found out. Every time I get a moment of rest, it pops in my head and it's so exhausting. Clark's like, well, let me help you. She's like, how? It's, it's going to be me sitting in that uncomfortable chair for hours, me getting pumped full of toxic drugs, you know, me who might lose my taste buds or lose my hair. And he's like, I know. He's like, that's why we have to handle this as a team. You and me, Lois. Her phone dings. It's like Sam. He's asking if she's okay. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, good. Then he's like, we need to talk about the blood that you found. So everything in the lab was destroyed. But they found a, a match to the blood. And it's not good. So she's like listening. And she's like, okay, I'll call you back. And Clark's like, whose blood was it? Los looks at him. Yours. So somehow, how the heck did they get all of the Superman blood? So then... In the the other Mannheim lab where they they got that Miller guy, he's like in this like back to tank. It's like this floating tank thing. Uh, The doc's like, we push him as much as we can. If we continue, we won't be able to resuscitate him. That other dorky dude, or he's like, Mr. Mannheim wants him alive. So find someone that we can push further. The boys in that, they can't find the watch. It's not in the truck. So they, they've rummaged through, they're like, well, maybe they rummaged through it before, you know, before they, they started on it, they looked to see if there's anything there. Then Jordan tells Jonathan, uh, you have a visitor. 
So Candace is walking up they're at the farm right away. So it's like, how did she get all the way to the farm? And so she comes up, she has to watch. She says she found in her dad's stuff and she saw his name engraved on the back. She's like, I guess you're right. So then she turns to leave. Jonathan's like, what, that's it? And she's like, what do you want me to say? She's like, I'm sorry that I got mad at you. And he's like, well, where are you going? And she's like, you got suspended because I was dealing XK. Now my dad stole your truck. And he's like, but that's not your fault. He's like, nobody's perfect. And she's like, you seem to be. And he's like, not even close. And he's like, there's something I should tell you. So it's about the party. Lana tries talking to Sarah outside her door. And she's like, I'm not sure if there's anything that I can say. She's like, I'm horrified and humiliated by my behavior. She's like, you know how my mother was. And I never wanted to be like her. And I will be better. She's like, I love you so much. She's like, I know it may take you some time to forgive me. She's like, I'm just so sorry. She's like, can we please just talk? At the diner, Chrissy walks in and sees Kyle at the counter. She's like, oh, it looks like you could use some company. And he says he's that you know she does not want to hear about his day. And Chrissy's like, well, I almost died in the freezer. He kind of like laughs and he's like, hold up, what? <laughs> and she says, you want to know what the worst part was? She's like, I, I, you know, she was supposed to be getting cancer treatment, but she was trapped in there with me. She won't listen to anyone trying to help her. And he's like, yeah, I know all about that. And he's like, my dad, he died of liver cancer. He's like, the thing I remember most is how stubborn he was. He just didn't want to admit that he was sick right up until the end. Then she's, you know, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, whatever. Then she's like, do you want to come back to my place? You know, maybe watch a movie. And he's like, yeah, I think I do. Then Sarah walks in and her eyes are red from crying. So then he whispers, he's like, maybe another time. And then he walks up to Sarah. She just like falls in his arms and he's like, he's hugging her. He's like, it's okay. It's okay. In the morning, Lois asks Clark if she's seen the keys and he's like, I have them. He's like, I'm driving. She's like, uh, maybe on the way back, I'd like to get there in time. He's like, oh, oh, oh. then they, you know, they go out, turn around the corner on the porch. Everyone's there. Like the boys, Nat, Sam, John Henry. Lois looks like Clark and he's like, no one listens to me. So then Nat's like, this is a reminder that we're here for you. It was my mom's. And then Lois starts cracking. She's like, it's beautiful. They hug. Then Sam's like, okay. She's like, time to use that thing. We don't want to be late. And then the, the boys tell her, you know, as they're walking and off the porch of the car, she's like, Nat made that herself. It's like it has a thousand, a thousand moving parts. It's super cool. It uses the same kinetic energy as John Henry's hammer. And Lois is like, I still don't understand how that works. <laughs> Which, how does it work? I don't think they've ever explained it. John Henry and Nat are kind of like the last ones on the porch. And he's like, you're right. And she's like, I know she's not my mom. He's like, it wasn't about that. He's like, I think that by telling myself that I was trying to um, – keep it from hurting so much he's like it doesn't work that way you know she was in trouble and i realize it and you know she's my friend i'm just worried about her and that's like me too and then uh before they get in the truck she's like thank you you know she's like really means a lot and then they they drive off so she's finally gonna make it that's where it ends so like i said i mean it's just uh it's just, it's just so sad and um I have to imagine, you know, she's going to get through this, but who knows? I mean, it's just, it's just stellar acting. I mean, it's, again, whether it's cheesy, cliche, whatever, they're doing a good job. Then there is The Flash. The Flash is back after a week off. Season 9, Episode 7, Wildest Dreams. Um, so we have uh, Nia Nal, Dreamer from Supergirl. And I, I think that's cool because, you know, even though, even though I still haven't finished the last season of Supergirl, 
just because there's so I, I stopped covering it on the show. There's so much to watch. You know, I I, I, I support the characters, and, and so it's cool that we see her. She's walking this dark building, and then she gets like this dream vision, you know, of like birds and like cemeteries or whatever. It almost seems like it's painful. Then there's like a bunch of people behind her, and she's like, "If you're trying to stop me, you can't." And she's like, "Not when I'm this close." Then there's this like hooded person. And so uh, Nia starts using her powers. You know, her hands are all glowing or like that. And then the, the hooded person raises their hand and like turns off her power somehow. Then she turns and <laughs> somehow Iris is there. And Iris like, Nia, it's about control. And she faints. And Nia like goes down to her. And then she's like, she turns to the cloak person. And she's like, what did you do? Why did you kill her? And Nia's asleep at a table, like mumbling. She's holding a, a cup of coffee, so she's at a jitters, uh, jitters, uh, NC National City jitters, because it's you know they're everywhere. And this worker comes up to her. And she's like, uh, "If you can't control yourself, I have to ask you to leave." She's like, "Oh, I'm I'm leaving." She's like, "I have to get to Central City." <laughs> so then we see Iris is at work. Finally, so she's just actually going into the office and working. Barry calls and he's like, "Oh, how's your story going?" And she's like, "Oh, it's my best work ever." <laughs> really. She's like, well, what, are you going to tell me what it's about? She's like, nope. He's like, you can find out when I publish it, at, just like everybody else. Then a legger comes in. She's like, oh, I finished your the layout. She's like, I came up with a, tile, a title. And she shows her, Nightmare Under Red Skies. Iris just kind of stares at it. Then she thinks back to Barry showing her his map book, like all the predictions and stuff like that. So on, there's a page, it's written, Nightmare Under Red Skies. And then there's an arrow, first Pulitzer. So she stares and Allegra's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just wasn't expecting to see that headline so soon. Which is, okay, so here's a weird thing. I've never really had someone write a title for me. It just seems like such a bizarre thing to do. And I totally get the thing is, you know, I, I you know, there's been some suggestions like, well, maybe you should say, you know, put the word here instead of here, or you use this, use two instead of that, or, you know, whatever. It's like little minor things. But it just seems so weird that you know you're writing something and you don't even have a title. But maybe I've never, you know, not doing investigative journal. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> Agents of Shield review or why Superman never goes to the bathroom. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so she's like, I didn't think I'd see it so soon. So Allegra's ex excited because she's like, oh, this is the one. You know, she knows that she's supposed to get a Pulitzer, and she's like, well, can I congratulate you now? And I was like, you know, I, I actually I think I'm gonna wait to publish it. I still want to tinker with it a little. So um, it's morning. Akion, she un unlocked ice power somehow. So Mark's like excited. He's like, so he, he goes to get her some liquid to freeze or something like that. And then, um, or you no, know, he has her go to get some. She like turns around and she bumps into him. She accidentally spills it on him. He's like, oh, that's okay. I hate shirts anyways. Takes off his shirt. Because, <laughs> you know, he's all about his abs or what like that. And he's like, oh, maybe that was a bad idea. He's like, I'm going to put it back on. And she walks up to him. And she starts kissing him. He's, and he's like, are you sure about this? And she kind of like puts her her finger in his lips, like pushes him back like on a chair. And then they start kissing again. I was like, wait, what? But it turns out he's sleeping at a desk. And he's mumbling, oh, you're, you're amazing. He's like, I, I love you too. And Chuck wakes him up. He's with Keon for real. Uh, so Mark, he's like, oh, sorry. He fell asleep doing monitor duty. He's like, it won't happen again. 
And Keon's like, who are you professing your love to? You know, were you dreaming? And he's like, oh, no, no. He's like, it was about, about the whiskey or something like that. You know, my, my love for whiskey. And then Chuck's like, oh, I was going to, you know, train her on monitor duty or whatever like that. And she's like, oh, I wish we had a view so I could look outside. And Mark's like, well, you know, I could take you out somewhere. And he's like, you can train her anytime, right, you know, Chester? And he's like, uh, yeah. He's like, okay, let's go. Nia arrives at Iris's office. Uh, they like recently had their like brunch, bunch, brunch, bunch, whatever like that. Which I don't understand why Iris is involved with that, but whatever. And like, how far is it from Central City to National City for her to go once a month? Nia comments. Um, she's like, "Well, it's okay," because you know she says <laughs> she doesn't mind being there because Iris is kind of like her career role model. It's like you work with. Cara Danvers, Cara, Cara Danvers, Cara, 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 who's a reporter. So you're saying Iris is better than Cara. And she worked, I don't know if, I guess the question is, is Cat Grant still working there? Because we, you know, she left the show or whatever. But then Iris is like, uh, you know, oh, thank blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, you know, what's with the late visit? You know, and it, not in a rude way. But Nia's like, well, as Dreamer, for the past, you know, five years, I've been honing my powers. And she talked about like her half, like alien, whatever heritage thing. And she's like, you know, I can take dream energy and turn it into just about anything. It's like lately I've been trying to take my powers to the next level and I've been going into the dream realm. Uh, and she's like, I was really close to finding this one thing, whatever, in my dream last night, some like ancient dream thing or whatever. But then her powers got erased and she like holds out her hand and kind of like waves it. And she tells her, she's like, you know, nothing really happens. She's like, normally, you know, I can access it, but it feels like it's getting further away. She's like, it's going to sound weird. I think the only person that can help is you. And Iris kind of laughs. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> Nia says that, you know, sh that she was in her dream too. And something really bad happened. So she's, then she starts getting this pain and then the cloak person is there. And she's like, no, Iris is like, what is it? She's like, there's nothing there. The cloak person kind of like shimmers and then they both fall unconscious, like on the floor in Iris's office. So then suddenly Iris, <laughs> She's a police captain and Nia's like an officer, like a rookie or whatever. They're like, what's going on? You see this <laughs> this crook getting arrested. He breaks free. He starts to run. Someone's like, Captain, watch out. Iris just like puts out her arm, slams a guy in the chest, and knocks him down hard. <laughs> and then she like cuffs him. The other cops start clapping. <laughs> nice one, Captain. <laughs> oh my God. And then Iris is like, how are we both police officers? Nia's like, because we're in a dream, yours. So then in Iris's, Captain Iris's office, she's like behind her desk. Oh, this is kind of nice and everything like that. Nia's like, uh, I haven't seen anything like this. So Iris was in her dream and now she is in Iris's. She mentions that she can't get them out without her powers. But she's like, but, you know, there's always an exit somewhere. Then this officer comes up to Iris, says that someone wants to interview her about how she took down that crook. <laughs> It's like, what? Nia says that, you know, it's dangerous to spend too much time in the dreamscape. And Iris is like, well, you know, maybe, you know, this is my life. You know, it'd be nice to be making news instead of just reporting on it. Then she sees this door at the top of the stairs. She's like, is, could that be a way out? Nia kind of stops her. She's like, I didn't tell her the rest of the dream. So she says that, you know, Iris died. And she's like, how? So Nia says that there was this hooded woman who didn't speak. She had these glowing eyes. So she thinks that she's the one who took her powers and killed Iris. She thinks, you know, the only place that she can kill is in the dream realm. So they have to get out of there fast. So they're going to go through the door. Only now, 
<laughs> this episode is actually kind of entertaining because it's making me laugh. Iris is a manager at Jitters, uh, and Nia's like standing next to her. Barry and, and Chuck are, are working there too. And uh, it's just like, what the heck is going on? In real life, Barry arrives at, at Iris's office. He has cheese fries because she's talking about how she's always hungry and something like that. She's like, now I know how Nora's always eating or something. I don't know, something like that. So, you know, she's been hungry lately. Barry's like, Iris, he's like, I got some cheese fries. Then he sees him on the floor. He's like, no. So he must somehow brought him back to Star Labs. They're being examined. Chuck's like, oh, according to Gideon's analysis, uh, they're both in a deep REM sleep. Or REM sleep? I guess he's saying not REM. REM sleep. Um, did he say REM? REM. REM. Allegra's like, well, why can't we wake them up? And Barry's like, oh, what about baby Nora? And Chuck, Chuck has some like handy baby scanner thing. He's like, just holds it over like her stomach. He's like, oh, she's okay. <laughs> you just happen to have this magic baby scanner. And then Barry asks Cecile, he's like, can you sense anything? And she's like, no. Barry suggests, uh, he's like, well, we should call Kara, Brainy, or, or John. Chuck's like, they're all off planet. And Barry's like, well, I'm going to call the leagues or Cisco or anyone that I can think of. And he just like leaves. So then uh, the levels start spiking. And apparently if they don't wake soon, they could end up in a permanent comatose state. So in Dream Jitters, Iris asks Nia, she's like, what happens to our body if we can't wake up? And she's like, what happens to my baby? And Nia's like, I don't know. You know, She's not like this expert. It's never happened before. Dream Barry starts freaking out over this machine acting up or like that. And the customer's like, oh, I'd like my coffee not anytime now or sometime today. She starts giving orders to solve problems. Like she tells like Chuck's like, you can, you know, use your, you know, you know, how, and you're engineering, whatever. She's like, go, there's a space heater in the, in the closet that you can use the parts and fix this machine. He's like, yeah, I can do this. And so whatever, she starts saying all this stuff. And Nia's like, how do you know how to run a coffee shop? And I was like, well, I was a barista here. It's like, I really loved it. And, and she's like kind of really getting into being there. And Nia's like starts getting hot. And she's like, we have to go right now. And it's because they're starting to get fevers in real life. At the, the only bar in Central City, Mark and Keown arrive. So they went paintballing. <laughs> and which doesn't seem like something she'd want to do. Then he he talks about he's like, oh, you want to go? To, um, she says, I forget if she wanted to do something, but he's like, oh, you want to go to an underground rave? She's like, well, yeah, I, I like dancing, but you know, I was thinking something more relaxing. Then he's like, oh, let's go get some drinks. So they go up to like the bar. The bartender sees you know, so he's like, oh, good to see you. And she's like, I've never been here before, and I don't drink. So she's like, well, how about going to Arbitorium? And she's like, I know, you know, it's 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 open late. And Mark's like, let's go to roller derby. So he's clearly not listening to her or, or even aware or cares what she wants. Then she's like, why aren't we doing anything that I want to do? He's like, because I don't want to do anything boring. And, and they're like kind of arguing a little bit. Then he, he's like, why can't you be more like, and she's like, Frost? Outside, um, Nia asks Iris, you know, it's like, aren't you hot? Whatever. She's like, there's a word for this in, in her other language or whatever. It translates, translates into like angry sleep because if you stay in a dream too long, your body experiences trauma from the intense dream or something like that. So sometimes dreamers um, are there because of something in their life, like something affecting them or causing, you know, something. And Iris is like, I don't, I have everything I want. Uh, she's like, maybe, you know, back at Jitters, she's like, I thought it was kind of nice to be able to clock out at five and, you know, just have the freedom, like not constantly be working. Then the world changes into that dark building, like the warehouse thing. So this is Nia's dream. She's like, they're starting to merge. The dreams are merging. 
And she's like, we're not sharing a dream anymore. We're sharing a nightmare. Run, Iris. Chuck in the lab, he's like, huh, their fevers are, are spiking. It's like their, their body temperatures are getting higher. And there's a monitor that says their temperature. So, if, you know, everyone can see it. But he's got to point it out. Iris and he are running down this other hallway. There's like these doors. People appear in front of them. And then the cloak person is like behind them. And Iris, um, she can actually see her. And Nia is like, why are you doing this? And then they, they both get like the bird cemetery flash, whatever thing. And Nia's like, I'm the dreamer. I'm in control. She's like, I'm not going to let you hurt us. But it doesn't do any good. <laughs> so then uh, the cloak person waves her hands. And then this door behind them opens. So now they're back at Iris's office. But they're still in the dream realm. So they're at the, at the, the citizen, the centrist, whatever, her newspaper office. So they can hear people talking, but they're actually people at the work. So that one dude, what's his name, Araz, he's like, some people are just handed everything on a silver platter. So Araz, Taylor, and Allegra are sitting at this table. And Iris like, who are they talking about? So they turn on the TV. Iris is about to give her acceptance speech for Pulitzer. Then she's like, they're talking about me. Nia, she's like, oh, don't listen to them. And then Taylor's like, she's getting a Pulitzer? For what? Being married to the Flash? That's how she gets all her stories. And then they're asked Allegra, like, what's her take? She's like, I've known Iris for a long time. She's a fake. And she's like, she has a checklist. Everything's already decided for her. There's no way she actually deserves this award. So it's like, it's all true, right? The only reason she gets the stories is because of the Flash. And, you know, she used and because her dad was a police captain so she can get to crime scenes. Keon's starting to walk away from Mark and he's like, wait. And she's asked if he wishes that she was frost. He's like, no. And then it turns out it's karaoke night. So the guy takes a mic at, at the bar. He's like, for the first time in months, you know, Mark and Frost, whatever. Keon takes the, the, the mic. She's like, Mark and Frost will not be singing tonight because Frost is dead. And people kind of groan, whatever. And she's like, he's been trying to turn me into frost and he's like i had a dream and you know we kissed and it felt so re real people are like everyone there is listening they're kind of ragging on him We're like oh how could you do that whatever and he's like it's like no you're not the woman for my dreams you're not frost and keon's like no i'm me and you wouldn't know because you haven't even tried to get to know me and she's like and now i'm leaving and it's like silent in there Nia says that they're you know stuck in a dream their bodies are close to overheating and iris is worried about an award and iris is like yeah it's stupid she explains the situation nia about the map you know the map book and all that stuff and she says that how she feels that the award was preordained like she didn't deserve it nia's like you've been making choices all this time you know years ago when you first decided to become a journalist it's like destiny isn't about one choice it's about a lifetime of choices so their fevers aren't breaking they're at 105.2 but it's like why don't you try putting them in ice or somehow try to cool them down then Cecile gets a feeling. She's like, there's someone else in here. So she can sense the cloaked person. She's like, I don't know who it is. And, oh, now they're gone. <laughs> so she's like, I don't know how I know this, but I know Iris and Nia are going to get through this and be okay. She's like, the present felt powerful uh, and kind, sort of kind of like a guardian angel. So there's one last door at the, the citizen. It's like covered in spider webs. Nia says, she's like, my mom, <laughs> not me to laugh. She's like, my mom was killed by a spider. <laughs> she was a dreamer too. I don't know what kind of spider it was. Nia mentions in her dream before she came, Iris said it was about control. 
this whole time she thought it was about telling it was telling her to take control but this is about her giving up control so she thinks she has to go through the door alone and then she starts pulling at the webs you know pulling away she opens the door bright light in her she walks through and then the door closes and then iris dies <laughs> okay so barry's looking at iris he's like oh it's time for you to come home she's like i can't live this life without you nia's walking through this like there's like wall of webs you know she's just trying to get them out she keeps seeing like spiders like chomping on stuff really nasty stuff and then then there's this bright light then she's back in her costume and she's in that warehouse she turns and a cloaked person's there and she says that she's been trying to guide them the whole time hasn't she she thought that she mastered her powers but she wasn't ready so she's ready to give up control now and will accept whatever comes next cloak person takes off the cloak and we see this woman and she she's like i know who you are she's like my mother was a dreamer as was her mother before her all the way back to you you're the original dreamer and so like the whatever source of dream energy that she's been looking for you know it all goes back to her so nia's arms start glowing with her powers are back and then iris sees like the office starting to glow then they both wake up at star labs chuck's like oh their temperatures are back to normal Allegra's like, it's like nothing ever happened. So then they all talk after. Barry says, you know, he doesn't know how to thank Nia for saving his family. Nia's like, Iris actually saved me. And Cecile's like, who was that presence that I felt? And Nia's like, oh, that was the original dreamer. She's like on the planet Naltor or whatever. You know, she was the one that she was searching for. Now that she's connected with her, she's going to teach her how to use her powers in new ways. So it turns out that her potential is beyond her wildest dreams. But I'm bum. And Chuck, he's like, oh, that was amazing. He liked the pun. Then Cecile gets a feeling. Uh, she's like, there's just so much love. You know, I can feel it again. And Nia's like, yeah, she's right over there. Uh, they all kind of look. And she's like, I'm the only one that can see her. She's like, I'm not crazy. So Iris says, you know, okay, until next month's brunch club. And then they hug. So then uh, Iris is eating a big belly burger dinner. And Iris is like, oh, you're right. The one in National City is better. She's like, you're going to have to start running there more often. So he's like, oh, do you want to get cozy and watch a movie? She's like, well, there's one thing I have to do. So he opens up her laptop, and then he sees a title. He's like, oh, he knows what that is. She's like, yeah, I've been struggling with it. And he's like, you don't have to do it. She's like, it's not about the map book or anything. She's like, you know, I've been writing my story all along. Submit. So she got over her little drama. Um, then next scene is they're all at cecile's big you know big table full of food keon thanks them for making her feel so welcome and they're like you know barry's like oh your family too whatever there's a knock at the door and the legs asks cecile are you expecting anyone else and keon's like no but i am so she goes and it's mark he's actually wearing a tie it's like what and he's like hi and they're all like oh hey. and he's like yeah, i'm guessing she told you what happened he's like don't worry i'm not coming in so he's like She's like, well, we'll be right. I'll be right back. So she goes out on the porch with him. He says that he knows what he did to her was wrong. Uh, you know, Frost was supposed to be his ride or die, his destiny. And he's been stuck in like some bad dream and he just can't wake up. Truth is, there's no waking up from this. He just, you know, wanted to come by and say that he's really sorry. You know, he just wasn't thinking right. He totally understands that she never wants to. She's like, Mark, I forgive you. And he's like, really? And she's like, yes, that's what friends do. And he's like, I'm really going to miss you. And she's like, where are you going? He's like, away. You taught me another important thing. No one can take this pain away, not even you. I have to go through all this pain to get over it. I have to do this alone. And he's like, promise me you'll keep exploring your powers. He's like, there's got to be something amazing you know, inside you. And she's like, I promise. 
So he leaves. She walks back in and they're like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. But then they notice like everything's frozen. Like, you know, the liquid's frozen and the, uh, the plates are just frozen over. She's like, I guess I'm feeling a little sad. And then they all like walk up to her and like put their head on her shoulder and everything like that. That's how it ends. So it's like, dude, you just ruined the entire dinner. <laughs> so she's got some sort of ice powers. What the heck does that mean? We'll have to see. But Iris, thank goodness Iris was there to save the day, right? Oh, my gosh. Then there's Star Wars The Bad Batch. Guess what? Two episodes this week, or last week. Uh, two episode series, season finale. It's like, seriously? It's like you could have milked this, and I mean that in a business point of view. You could have done this for two weeks. They had one more week. But they decided to do two at once. So whatever, that's fine. Season two, episode 15, The Summit. So on Pabu, Tech says, you know, info on advanced science division is limited. He can't find anything. There's like even less information about Dr. Hemlock. Echo says that a contact of his said that Hemlock is attending a high-level Imperial Summit in two rotations. So it's it's being held at Tarkin's compound. So if they could um, basically get there, they can put like somehow – they can use this to find out where Crosshair is. So Hunter's like, well, you know, we'd have a tactical disadvantage. She's like, I'm not sure if it's worth the risk. But they're like, well, you know, we don't leave anyone behind type of thing. So Omega says bye to Fee, you know, because they're go- we're going on a covert mission. And then you know, Fee walks up to Tech and she's like, she's like trying to connect with him. She's like, are you just going to leave without saying goodbye? And he's like, he's like avoiding eye contact, whatever. But then um, he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then she's like, I forget what she says or something like that. And then he he kind of like looks at her when she walks away. So is there like some sort of romantic, you know, tension going on here? We see this like Imperial shuttle flies down to Tarkin's compound. Um, Hemlock arrives. Tarkin's been expecting him. He so, so he walks in this broom. He's late. He's brought, uh, there's so, so this big room with like round table. Tarkin's there with like a couple other like, moths or whoever governors or whatever i don't know what they're called imperial dudes um clones fly down with they they're so the our, our clones the the good clones the bad batch whatever you want to call them they got this imperial code and they're not sure if it works it does so they don't land at the base so they're like outside tarkins uh they they land off to the side like because it's, it's like there's kind of the facility is built like on a cliff or something like that so they sneak through some trees. They can probably get to the compound because it's like, again, off like in this cliff. So there's like a rail car, kind of like a cable car thing. So they can hang on to the bottom of that and go there because, you know, there's like security everywhere and stuff like that. So Tech goes into this like building to access the computers. He turns off the sensors and then they shoot like grappling hooks at the the, the bottom of the rail car. And then... Um, they they get arrive there. They have to take out some stormtroopers, whatever. So they talk about like military presence across all sectors, galactic unification. Tarkin asks Hemlock for an update on the advanced science division because uh, he says you know pro- progress is important. Once they unlock the secrets, they'll have an enlightened society through their advanced technological and molecular alteration. So I don't know what the, the Hemlock's plans are. So, like modify everyone to try to make ideal people. Tar- but Tarkin's like, how long is this going to take? He's like, uh, 
the the amount that he's asked for funding is already like a substantial amount and hemlock's like science can't be rushed so it's it's weird you know, it's jimmy simpson doing the voice of hemlock you know so he was in uh west world uh he was in a man who fell to earth uh he, he was in he's in a bunch of stuff he, super nice guy you know he was green arrow in the, the john stewart animated movie he's always a villain the thing is his voice is like too cool for like a nerdy scientist dude it just it almost doesn't seem right but whatever so he's like you know science can't be rushed he's like but with more clone troopers getting decommissioned that he's he's found a new purpose for them test subjects that aid in his research you know it, it and it basically solves like some couple problems or whatever they have this other officer or moff or whatever they are he's like had the clones agreed to this experimentation and hemlock's like they are imperial property their cooperation is not required so this dude's like yeah but there you know there's many in the senate who are fighting for clone rights if word of this gets out it could prove you know more detrimental to our goals hemlock says that the location and operations under his purview are far from the eyes and ears of the senate and everyone else's and then this other dude he's like um, he's like he's like i've served with many clones he's like they're loyal to the end he's like are they just willing to dismiss, you know, them or whatever? And Tarkin's like, I've also served with the clones. He's like, I found them at times to be very unpredictable. Under Jedi leadership, they had they adopted a concerning level of individuality. So then the second dude, he's like, well, what happens if they become aware of what's happening and take up arms against us? Hemlock's like, well, some already have. Tarkin says, and they'll deal with them swiftly and, un and unilaterally to quell any threat of a clone uprising. Then uh, Tarkin asks about, he's, he wants to move on. He asks about the status of Project Stardust. Is that supposed to be the Death Star? I don't know. The clones are in a hangar, and they need to find out which ship is Hemlocks or, you know, looking at the computers. They uh, find out, like, some security cameras have been cycled off. So that's unusual. Like, why is some, why are some of the cameras turned off already? Wrecker and Omega figure out they, they're, like, separate. They so they know which one is this ship. Rucker says that there's not enough cover for him to, to get to the ship. So he asks Omega if she thinks she can do it. She's like, oh, not a problem. Because, you know, there's like some crates and different things like that. So she takes the tracking beacon. beacon. She goes there, works her way around, you know, sets it on the ship, turns it on. Rucker's like, there's more troopers headed your way. So then she kind of gets pinned between. And then Hunter's like, he's like, I'll divert them. So he turns on this like electro crane magnet thing arm and it's like picks up a ship or something, makes a mess. Troopers are uh, running towards it, trying to figure out what's going on. Tech detects another offline camera. And so he's like, this, he, he, this is weird. So he wants to leave because he just doesn't like this. Hunter sees a thermal explosive and he, there, he's like, you know, one won't do much damage. And then a stormtrooper is like, good thing there are more. It's like, why would a stormtrooper say that? They pull off their, uh, they pull out their blasters on, on them, and then one of the stormtroopers takes off his helmet. It's Saw Guerrero. He's like, "Oh, I, you know, I told you before, you had to make a choice. Looks like you you did." So he says he plans. You know, like, "Well, what are you doing here?" He plans on leveling the compound along with all the Imperials inside. Hunter's like, "Can't let you do that." He's like, "We're tracking one of the officers." He's like, "We need to find his base where clones are being imprisoned, including one of our own." So I was like, you expect me to call this off to save a few prisoners? He's like, we're trying to fight an empire. Tech says that, he's like, have you considered that by destroying this facility, you're wiping out any chance to gather intel that could help your cause? Saw so says that taking out several of their top commanders is a good start. 
texts like that victory will be short-lived as their ranks will quickly be replenished. And so I was like, maybe so, but sacrifices have to be made for the greater good. And then they get discovered. So they're going to have to like fight. So Tarkin is told that insurgents disguised as troopers have infiltrated the compound. Then some like super troopers or like they got like whatever. They're like heavy security dudes. They come in the like security blind metal shutters, like close over the windows. And then they, he tells the, the dudes there, he's like, take your seats so we can continue. He's like, we are perfectly safe here. Tech and um, Hunter are running through the halls. They finally catch up with like Wrecker and, and Echo and, and Omega. Saw and uh, the person he was with, like one of them, I think the other person got like hit. So they're, they're kind of hobbling along. They make it out of there. They're on their ship. They take off. Saw hits the remote. The explosives start going off. Places like shaking in Tarkin's office, but you know, I guess they're fine. The troopers are on a rail car, then they, they lose power because uh, the, the, the feedback kind of takes it out. They're about halfway across on this cable, and there's like another car, like on the other um, other cable, like on the other direction, that's kind of close by. There's like other, like real star troopers, whatever. And Tech's like, this is going to be a problem. And then that's the end of episode 15. Okay, then uh, episode 16, Plan 99, the clone force, they open the, um, the rail car. Uh, the other troopers start shooting at them. You know, they open the door. They're shooting from their car. Hunter tells Tech to get the power back, and he says that Tech says he'll have to tap directly into the, the power from the rails. So he climbs up top. And, you know, they have to, like, cover him or whatever. Um, Tarkin is updated on the casualties. Then a trooper says they've caught them trapped on, on a rail car. Tarker's like, well, get an airstrike to take them down. The officer's like, uh, our own troops will get caught in the, the crossfire. And Tarkin's like, I don't care. Just do it. So he, he's nice. So three ships are headed their way. Uh, they yell that they need power. Text, you know, he finally gets it going. The ships circle around for like second round, you know, like shooting at them. Hunter shoots one and it bumps into another. So, you know, takes them out. The rails are, are getting damaged and the, sh the, the cars are getting like hit. Tech falls off the, the top rail onto the top of the car, but then the car gets kind of knocked, knocked off the rails. Like the hook that's holding the car to the, the cable is like kind of busted. So it's just, there's, it's kind of like a double car. So like one is kind of hanging off the back. And, and, you know, he's just hanging from his grappling cable. So Wrecker moves to try to get Tech, but, you know, Tech's like, no, no, no. He's like, any shift in weight can send both cars flying over. So he, then he tells Wrecker, he's like, sever the hinge. And Wrecker's like, not until you're up here. There's more shooting going on and stuff like that. And the, the whole car is like rocking some more. Tech's like, there is no time, Wrecker. Plan 99. And then he takes out his blaster and Wrecker's like, don't you do it, Tech. And then he texts like, when have we ever followed orders? He shoots a connector and then the car falls with him. And Wrecker's like, no. The change in the weight sends their car flying. And Omega was like, what? We have to go back. The car is going too fast. It smashes through the station, like the, the, the drop off place. Kind of goes like through the wall. Omega wakes in the wreckage and she calls out to tech, but then falls over. She's unconscious again. Omega wakes up. Again, Hunter and Echo see her. They, they're like, we, you know, her, everything's kind of blurry. They're like, we have to get her out of here. Wrecker, Wrecker picks her up. They start getting it shot, shot at. And Omega's vision, you know, she, she's blurry in and out of it. They reach the Marauder. Hunter says that we have to head to Ord Mandel. And then, um, so 
AZI, A-Z-I, A-Z, I forgot how you say it, the floating medical droid can help. So they're like, hurry. Omega wakes up with Hunter sitting next to her. So she's like in a bed. Um, AZ, I think that's how you say it, says that they've all sustained injuries, but they'll make a full recovery. Riker comes in. He's relieved that Omega's okay. She goes um, through the last thing she remembers. She's like, how did I get here? And then she remembers. She's like, where's Tech? Hunter's like, Omega, Tech didn't make it. And she's like, no, we have to go back. What if he's hurt? He needs us. Hunter tries consoling her, and she, like, slaps his hand back. She's like, no, Tech's not gone. He he can't be. And she's, like, crying. Then she's like, why did Tech do that? You know, he didn't let us save him. Hunter says that he knew, knew that they were out of time. Tech put the squad ahead of himself. So he made a sacrifice. He's like, and we're not going to waste it. She's like, what does that mean? He says that the galaxy has changed, and so have they. It's time to put being soldiers behind them for good. Hunter's like, Wrecker and I think Pabu could be a good place to make a new life for ourselves. And the rest of it, we can figure out along the way. He's like, Omega, is that something you want? She kind of thinks for a second. She just gives a tiny nod. He's like, then that's what we'll do. Sid, they're so there at Sid's. Sid pours a drink, gives it to Wrecker. And she's like, here, this one's on the house. He just kind of pushes it aside. He's like, oh, that won't help. And she's like, yeah, sorry about goggles. I always liked him. He's like, yeah, me too. Echo's sitting on a ship. And he kind of looks over and like Gonky says something. There's like a ship overhead. He looks, it's like a star destroyer, or whatever, big imperial ship. He's like, the Empire is here. He tries calling Hunter and then Wrecker. There's no reply. He's like, they're gemming our comms. Something's up with Sid. She seems a little nervous. Wrecker's like, what's with you? She's like, you know, I tried to go all out for you boys. But you got too much heat on you. And you brought it here in my place of business. It's like, I had to make the best of a bad situation. And he's like, what did you do? And she's like, sorry, muscles. The door opens, like four troopers enter. They're like like big, bigger troopers. He, he gets hit by a stun blast, but it doesn't do anything. And then Hunter can like, um, he hears commotion in the other room. A couple troopers come around a corner. He like shoots and he like shuts the door. He slides like this, full, this secret escape hatch in, in the room. Because uh, I think they might be in, in Sid's office. He tells Omega to take the mine port, find Echo. He'll find them. And she's like, you're injured. You can't fight them alone. And he's like, Omega, you and AZ need to go. He's like, that's an order. So she starts climbing down and like halfway to ladder. She tells AZ, she's like, I can't do it. She's like, I already lost tech. She's like, I can't lose them too. Hunter like blows up the door. He takes out two troopers or it's like trying to break in. He finds seven troopers like all around, like a captured record. So they're just like, all have guns. Hemlock standing in front of him. He tells Hunter, he's like, you don't need to use your strategic mind to know you are outnumbered then he hands like some payment over to sid the empire thanks you for your assistant she looks like she's like ashamed and he's like our business is done leave then omega and as crawl out they make it outside through the ducks hemlock tells hunter to consider his next move very carefully i would hate for this to end poorly for both of you here is how this is going to go you will lower your blaster and hand over omega and i will allow you to keep breathing hunter's like omega's not going anywhere with you well who knew clones were so paternal fascinating omega and as can hear like hemlock so they, they must have circled back or something like that um he says that he was saddened to hear about your friend's demise trooper hands him his goggle i'm afraid this was all i could salvage consider it a gift and he tosses him at hunter's feet to lose one of your own, it must weigh heavily on you as their leader. He motions the trooper. They, they kind of close in on Wrecker. He says that if he doesn't lower his blaster, he's going to use 
lose yet another. Hunter finally puts his blaster down, picks up the, the goggles. Wise decision. The troopers grab him. Another comes up and says the girl's not in the office. Hunter says that, you know, she's long gone. And Hemlock's like, we'll see. So Azzy and Omega exit. She tells Azzy to find Echo. She'll try to stall him as long as possible. She sees him in the street. She shoots like her arrow thing by them. And Hemlock orders the troopers to lower her weapon. And he tells her that they were just talking about her. And she tries to act tough. Let them go. Hunter's like, Omega, run. And then he's like, I won't let them take you. Hemlock's like, how about an exchange? If you come with me, your friends will live. And she says that you know she doesn't believe him. He says that he didn't come for them. He came for her to return her to uh, Nana Say. And the the Kaminoan, whatever, doctor, person, clone doctor. Hunter says he's lying. He's like, they killed Kaminoans. And he's like, incorrect. Nana is Nana Say is alive and well cared for. You will be too. Omega's like, I'm not going with you. Hunter yells like, look out, because there's a trooper behind her and stuns her. Hemlock says, Governor Tarkin wishes to question her personally. So things heat up. Um, Hunter and Wrecker escape. They they catch up with Azzy and Echo. He says that they have to get to shuttle before it takes off. They're because they have Omega. There's troopers everywhere. Hemlock's shuttle takes off. He tells the others to get to the Marauder. There's like, uh, you know, so many troopers after them or whatever. They reach it. They take off, go to hyperspace. And Echo's like, there's no way we could track Hemlock's ship. They could have, you know, taken Omega anywhere. Hunter, like, looks at her room. He's like, we are going to get her back. And we don't stop searching until we do. So at Hemlock's secret base planet, Omega sees Nalase? Nanase? I think it's Nalase. I don't remember. Omega asks why did they bring me here? And she just kind of gets pushed forward. Hemlock's like, your prime minister said you had an attachment to the clone, so I've returned her to you. Perhaps now you will reconsider working on the Emperor's project. And, you know, not, now let's say what it's like, what he seeks is not possible. And Hemlock's, make it possible. If you refuse or fail, Omega will suffer the consequences. So Omega's taking this lab by that one lady doc. I don't know if she's actually a doctor now, whatever. She's got like these, the, the glasses on all the time. She's told to stay there. Uh, Omega looks around. She sees Crosshair dropped to the table. She's like, Crosshair, wake up. But he's like completely out. So she's told that he's recovering. He was told what would happen if he didn't cooperate with the doctor. So some, they, like, he knocked him out or something like that. Omega says she's, that she wants to talk to Nala Say. And the, the lady, I forget her name. She's like, ironic, you trust a Kaminoan more than you trust me? Omega's like, I don't know you. And she's like, no. You might know me better than you think. She kneels down, takes off her glasses. We're sisters, Omega. So I guess she must be a clone as well. And that's how it ends. That is the end of the season. So I, I'm assuming there's going to be another season. I don't know if it's been like officially renewed or anything like that, but that's how it ends. So tech is gone. But now, that, you know, after I was thinking about that, Maybe Tech's not gone because we didn't actually see his body. We just saw him fall. What did he fall on? What was below? Because you couldn't see because it was like all clouds or I don't think we could see the ground. They have his glasses, but they could have somehow caught him, captured him, found him. Maybe he's in a back to tank somewhere. So I don't know. It just feels like it's like you can't kill another one, but we'll see. So it, it was a good season. Um, I'm not super crazy about the double episode, but whatever. I got to shut up about that. So there you go.
Then The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 5, The Pirate. So on Navarro, Karga's, uh, grief Karga's looking over the plans of the city. There's like some commotion outside. This big ship is coming. So it's that Gorian shard, that pirate king, the, the, like the green monster alien thing. So he calls down. Um, shard kind of makes fun of Karga's like pompous appearance. You know, he's talking to him through like a holocom thing. He complains about his lack of of hospitality and shooting his men. Cargo's like, well, they shot first. Shard says that, he's like, well, I'll shoot first now. And then Cargo's like, is that a wise idea? Navarro's under protection of the Republic. Shard's like, my charts indicate that it's an independent world. So he basically says that he's like, you can't bluff your way out of this one. And then he's like, don't hail me again unless it's to surrender. So Karga sends out an alarm. People in the streets start running. Missiles start firing down from the big ship. Uh, at this Republic Cantina somewhere on some different planet, Karga calls Captain Teva. So he's the one Republic pilot dude that we've seen throughout you know this series. He tells him about the pirate attack. He humbly asks him for them to send a patrol out. The situation is dire. So he's afraid that the planet will fall and Shard will turn into a pirate base. This other alien Republic dude says like, oh, it's too bad. He's like, I thought Navarro was going to make it. Teva's like, well, I'll forward this to Coruscant and request permission to intercede. The alien dude's like, they haven't responded in weeks. Like, they're swamped. Tavis like, well, then I'll just have to talk to them face-to-face. He's like, they can't ignore me directly. He flies over to Coruscant. He goes to talk to his Commander Tuttle dude, played by Tim Meadows. Um, and then that Eliah Kane is there, the the one that that turned that dude in, that got his brain fried, that worked for... Um, What's his name? What is his name? But it's like, why is she there? So Teva kind of pushes his way, introduces himself. Um, Tuttle says that he's never heard of Navarro. Teva hands him like the, the disc with the message. Tuttle plays very little of it, and he like, turns off right away. He's like, I get the gist. Then Kane, um, that's her name, but that's not what they call her. It's like G68 or whatever. She kind of really barges in. She's like, uh, I'm going down to the commissary. She's like, can I get you anything? And he's like, no. Then he's like, wait, you spent time in the outer rim. Have you ever heard of Navarro? And she says that she has. She spent some time there. Teva kind of eyes her like suspiciously. She says that they have yet to sign a charter. They're not a member planet. Tuttle's like, uh-oh, not good. Teva's like, well, what's the matter? It's like, we can't leave them defenseless. Tuttle says, you know, of course not, but, you know, we have a backlog of requests from other worlds. He's like, I don't even know if we have the resources, especially for pirates. Tavis says that, you know, he doesn't think this is an isolated episode. There, They have been re- reported, uh, there's a reported accounts of stormtroopers in the streets in Navarro, TIE fighters openly flying above them. The citizens speak of Moff Gideon, that was a dude, occupying the town, and now a pirate king is attempting the same thing. He's like, these events could all be connected. Tuttle's like, that seems like kind of a, a you know bit of a leap. And he's like, really? Because I'm hearing Moff Gideon never made it to trial. Tuttle's like, Captain, this isn't a rebellion anymore. We have a structure now. I work in requisitions. So let's focus on what you require. Tava's like, okay. He's like, I'm requesting authorization and backup for dealing with pirates and Navarro, sir. And because Kane is still in office for some reason, she said, why, why are you there? She's like, Perhaps the leaders of Navarro need to understand why becoming a Republic's, you know, signatory is valuable. Teva's like, by letting them suffer? And he's like, sounds like a rather imperial way of thinking. Tuttle's like, Captain, you're out of line. 
And then uh, Kane, G68, whatever, she's like, oh, it's fine. She's like, I'm used to that kind of talk. But from experience, it often takes a new perspective before one is able to see the light. Tava's like, you and your sort didn't see the light. You were captured. And she's like, no, I was liberated. Tuttle's like, in any event, it's like, thank you, Captain, for bringing this to our attention. We'll see if we can allocate some additional assets. Apologies that you know we can't do more. He hands uh, back the video file. Tava says something. He's like, something dangerous is happening out there. It's like, all these events can't be a coincidence. By the time it becomes big enough for you to do something, to act, it'll be too late. He just like walks out. Kane just kind of like stares at him, like almost glares at him as he leaves. So I don't know what her, what, why she's, what her purpose is. Citizens of Navarro are walking through the desert. They find his cave. You know, they're going to hide out there. Karga looks at the smoking city through binoculars. He's like, oh, we'll make camp here for a bit. He's like, help will be here soon. But it's like, uh, maybe not. Teva flies his X-Wing to where the Mandalorians are. So he lands. He walks towards the, the, the cave. He cautiously calls out. And then uh, Paz uh, Vizsla he, he tells him, clear out. He's like, the New Republic isn't welcome here. So Teva apologizes for dropping in unannounced. You know, and then Din walks out. He's like, how'd you manage to find us? And he's like, Mandalorians pride themselves on their secrecy. Teva's like, uh, fortunately, someone I served with during a rebellion is among your ranks. They all kind of look around like, wait, what? Then R5-D4 rolls up. So that's been the story that R5-D4 is really working for Imperials. He sabotaged himself. So R2-D2 would get taken by Uncle Owen and Luke. For some, so That's what one of the non maybe non-canon stories is. Teva thanks him. Then Mando says that the entire covert will now have to relocate. Paz Vizsla says, or we could just kill him. Mando's like, he cut me a break once. He's like, now I'm returning him the favor. So he says... Uh, Teva says Grief Karga sent him a holo message and like all the, 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 the guns tense when he reaches for it, you know, to take out the, the holo. He tosses it to Mando. He says Navarro is under siege by pirates. Mando walks up to him and asks, he's like, why are you really here? Teva says that they're going to blow the planet to hell. Mando says, that he's like, well, then call in a strike. He's like, we don't even have ships. Teva says that Coruscant doesn't care. Karga is Mando's friend. So he's like, you won't let him die. Mando's like, well, what's in it for you? Tavis says that the New Republic has to know that the Empire is growing again. He's not sure if the Pirate King is involved, but something doesn't smell right. So it's not the Mando's fight, but you know his friend is in danger. So he just thought that he should know. He starts walking back towards the ship. Bo-Katan walks up to Mando. Um, Tava in his cockpit, he says that he knows they'll relocate anyways, but they have his word that he will not give the location to anyone. So Bo-Katan is like, what are you thinking? And Mando's like, he's right. He's like, we got to help him. He's like, but I, I can't do it alone. So later he talks to some Mandos. You know, they're all gathered around. He says that some of them fought against him to help him, but, you know, against Karga. But he's had a change of heart. He stands before them to petition an intervention to help rescue Navarro before it's too late. You know, he's no proposition to ask any more of them. However, the enemy that decimated this very covert were Imperials. So perhaps it's time to live out in a light once again on a planet where they are welcome. He's like, so our culture can flourish and so our children can feel what it is to play in the sunlight. He um, hands the, the hammer back to armor. I guess whoever holds a hammer can speak or something like that. She asks if anyone else wishes to speak. Paz Vizsla says he does. It's like, oh boy, here we go. He says that he was there in Navarro that night 
he fought against grief karga and his hunters he saw his um, some of his brothers and sisters fall he saw many die to save the life of this one tiny foundling grogu the the question we should be asking is why should we lay our lives down yet again and he's like because we are mandalorians pointing at mando He's like, I have had my disagreements with this man, but he risked his life to save my son. And Bo-Katan Kreese did not give up on my child's life when the rest of us did. These two are asking us to take up arms in the name of a brighter future. And I, for one, will take up arms to fight by their side. This is the way. This is the way. Armor is like, this is the way. Bo-Katan says that they will go on her ship. She'll drop them in. So it'll just like, you know, jetpack off. Then they'll operate as a tight military unit. Din Djarin and herself will reinforce from above, so they'll shoot from their ships. Uh, if everyone acts as they should, they can use the element of surprise and defeat an enemy that outnumbers them. So they fly over, you know, going over the specs of, of Shard's big ship. Navarro is an independent planet. There's no one under the remnant uh, Imperial or New Republic protection. But it's that very independence that makes it appealing to settle so he's like you know you lived there once hiding in the sewers but now you can be heroes so they arrive pirates are um being jerks like all around the busted city they're taking what they want they're pushing any remaining citizens around they see mando's starfighter like fly by shard is informed uh he comes at them uh, he like drops a bomb whatever flies around they say to launch the snub fighters and follow him so uh, Mando's like trying to get their their attention. Karga calls Mando and thanks him. Mando says that he decided to take him up on his offer for attractive land. And Cargo says, like, be careful, they outnumber you ten to one. Mando blows up a ship. He's like, I like those odds. <laughs> so the big pirate ship starts going after Mando. Uh then he tells Bo that the coast is clear. She approaches the city, drops the first team. They land and start taking out pirates. Team two is, is they land too. Bo-Katan heads towards the big ship and starts firing, takes out an engine. Uh, Shard says to tell Vane, so he's the one pirate dude that was like wanting to go into the schoolhouse and drink that started all this. Shard tells to tell Vane and his fighters to reform for a counterattack. They're like, but he's pursuing the Mandalorian. And Shard's like, then bring them back. So Vane is told the Starfighter's a decoy, that there's another ship, so they have to regroup. Mandalorians are walking the street. They sense an ambush because it's like too quiet, so they're like, take cover. They start shooting at pirates, but then now they're boxed in. Paz drops in with his big gun, starts up plowing them down. The tides are kind of turning. Some pirates, they set up this big cannon on Karga's balcony. They start shooting down at them. So the fighters are, are targeting Bo-Katan's ship. Mandalorian comes back. He starts shooting at them. Shard is told that another engine is down. Their shields are failing. In Karga's office, Armor comes in. She takes out everyone with her hammer. And then she takes out the person on the balcony. So the, they're clear below. They start advancing. The pirates start running out. They go outside. The citizens and Karga are outside the city armed. And the pirates just drop their weapons. So they surrender. There's only one snub fighter left. Vane decides to part ways with the captain and Shard is told that they only have one engine. So he takes the wheel and he targets the town people. Mando says to focus on their last engine. The ship is on fire. It goes down, smashes into mountain, huge ball of flame. So some, no more Captain Shard. Citizens cheer. 
Karga thanks everyone, especially their fine Mandalorian liberators. He's like, this planet is now forever indebted. So he knows that they've had their differences. But from this day forward, he I cede all land from the Western Lava Flats to Bullet Cannon to the fine people of Mandalore. You may no longer have a home planet, but you do now have a home. Welcome. Citizens cheer and applaud. Then Paz comes up to Bo-Katan and says Armor wishes to speak with her. They go down below some, some tunnels. Armor tells her that this was once the forge of their covert. Um, and she says that you know she has been to the Great Forge on Mandalore. And Bo-Katan's like, I remember the forge well. Armor says that it was large and ornate. And the air rang with the music of a hundred hammers. And here stood a simple one. Yet they were both forges. They served the same purpose. And she's like, remove your helmet. And Bo-Katan's like, what? And Armor's like, do you respect my station? And Bo-Katan's like, I do. Remove your helmet. So it's like, what are you doing? You're trying to get her, like, kick her out? So Bo-Katan hesitates. She does it. Armor is like, our people have strayed from the way, and it is not enough for a few to walk it. We must walk it together. And Bo-Katan's like, this is the way. Armor's like, we must walk the way together, all Mandalorians. Bo-Katan's like, I understand. Armor's like, I was taught that the mythosaur existed only in legend, and yet you saw it. It is a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one who can unite us. So she's not trying to trick her. Outside, Bo-Katan walks next to Armor with her helmet off. Everyone's like staring at her. They're like, dude, what are you doing? Armor says, Bo-Katan Kreese is going off to bring other Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together once again. Paz Viz is like, but she shows her face. Armor says, Bo-Katan walks both worlds and she can bring all tribes together. Paz looks at Mando and then he like nods. It is time to retake Mandalore. Davis flying his X-Wing. He sees a ship floating. It's like, it's like a shuttle. It looks like it was hit. He calls us, uh, someone on the radio. He says that he found a derelict Lam- Lambda shuttle. The hull has been breached, and it shows evidence of being attacked. He's like, are there any reports in the area? So he's told that there's records of a missing craft in the region, but the records are classified. So he sends a probe out from his droid, which I didn't know they could do that. It sends out like a transponder signal. The dude says that it's a New Republic prison transport. The pro- probe shows a pilot's dead. Tava says that check the, the departure time. The dude's like, well, I'll be damned. Flight time matches a ship transporting Moth Gideon. Tava's like, I knew it. He never made it to trial. So there don't appear to be any survivors. Moth Gideon's body is missing. He's like, this was an extraction. And it looks like it's just a flight crew, but then there's something embedded in the wall. He's like, it's a fragment of Beskar alloy. And he's like, are you saying Moth Gideon was taken by Mandalorians? Which is dumb. Just because there's Beskar, you don't think it's a frame job? Come on. So that's the end of the episode. So, Moff Gideon, I'm shaking my fist. I don't care about you. I don't want to see you again. We'll see what he's got up his sleeve. Okay, then Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 7, Dominion. It it, it almost felt like things kind of took a jump. (laughs) Like a quarter of the way through. It was like, wait, what's going on? So it starts off that the Titans hiding in the Chintoka scrapyard. Uh, Seven calls Tuvok. Uh, and so Tuvok was in Star Trek Voyager, right? Asking where, you know, where's Riker? And he's like, there's no record of Starfleet taking Riker into custody. So obviously that means the changelings must have him. 
Picard and others are kind of looking at her because they're they're trying to um, analyze his voice pattern. They're trying to figure out like, is it really him? Because now the problem, this is almost kind of like like a secret invasion type of thing because it's like you don't know who is really who they are or who is a changeling. So then she asks, you know, when was the last time he had contact with Janeway? And he's like, oh, not re recently. He's like, I assume she's preoccupied with the logistics of Frontier Days since it's, you know, only 36 hours away. So basically, Seven is trying to fish. Like, is this really Tuvok? She's trying to find out, you know, if it's, you know, it's something that he, only the real Tuvok would know. So then she tells Tuvok that she and Picard tried to contact her and, you know, the entire Starfleet is in danger from the changelings. So can he help them reach out to others that they can trust? And he says that, you know, given their current status as fugitives, it's going to be difficult. Then uh, the voice analysis comes in inconclusive. So they, they still can't tell if it's really him or not. Seven says something about like the complexity of the situation being like, like a house of cards or something like that, or like their games of Calto. And he says that he's like, I need not remind you that you beat me countless times. So she nods to the others like, okay, he's legit. And he says that he can try to contact others. And she says that she knows like a safe place where they could go, Elkleon 7. She said that she went once. She underwent went a procedure there to stabilize her neural pattern or something like that. He's like, of course, you know, any location, whatever. Then Seven's like, a Vulcan would never go to Elkleon 7 after the collinear demonstrations. And, and she's like, and my neural pattern, it was stabilized by a mind meld on Voyager by my friend Tuvok. So... Then uh, it turns out that they're getting traced and Seven is told that they have like shut down this, this call and she says that only, you know, the real Tuvok would know that they played Calto, which means that he must have told them. So she's like, what the hell have you done with them? Fake Tuvok says that what, what, what they will do with him and with all of them or something like that when they're finished or by that, at that time, death will be a relief. So they'll be like wanting to be dead. Then Picard demands, like, where is Will Riker? Is he alive? Fake Tuvok, you know, changes into, like, a craggly kind of Riker. And then he says that, like them, Riker is as good as dead. So Picard tells Jordy to cut the connection. And Jordy's like, we can't keep doing this. Like, maybe we should just accept it. Picard's like, we're on our own. So Jordy says that Worf and Raffi uh, said that there was no mention of Riker being in custody. They went somewhere to, like, check something out. They'll be coming back soon. Beverly says that the changelings now are more unique. Um, you know, they're evolved. So you know, maybe they can come up with some weapon or tool against them because, you know, they're, they're so desperate. You know, maybe they can try to come up with a virus or something. But that has something to do with the Dominion War. Picard says that his participation in fleet exercises require genetic confirmation of his identity. So Geordi wonders that since they took his body and that they want Jack's DNA or whatever, because, you know, they're after Jack, maybe they're trying to create like some perfect John Luke doppelganger. So they just need more information. And there is someone on board who can help them. So they go to where Data is. You know, he's like, kind of turned off you know hooked up to like some some stuff they're trying to figure out you know what's up with him they turn him on and he kind of looks around and he, he's like captain what are he's and he's like he mentions that he's not on enterprise anymore and you know he, he says something else picard's like that was years ago and then he's like that explains why you're so old he's like you've aged horribly so he's kind of rude because that's lore data's brother he was supposed to have been deactivated but picard said it's more like he was archived Data tries apologizing, so the two personalities are fighting for control. Picard asks, you know, why the change, changing this might want his body. Laura is like, you know, why should I help you? 
and Picard asks again, and then Data says extraction. That you know there could be something in Picard's body. The the previous diagnosis of ear rheumatic syndrome is now being called into question. So maybe that's not what he had. But then Lore interrupts, and Data's like, "Help me, Captain! Help me!" So Picard says that this is too much. You know, it's like years ago, Data asked to be allowed to die in peace. Now here he's asking for help. So it's like they have to do something. You know, could they free Data by erasing Lore? Geordi says that the new positronic body is infinitely more complex than the data he used to, to know. So there's kind of like a partition between the two of them. So if he tries lifting it so they can get, you know, get rid of one or whatever, they risk lure taking over and then they would lose data forever. Um, Vatic is talking to her face commander thing. So basically, you know, she chops off her hand and it turns into this talking face. So it wants a report, you know, frontier day is almost on, on them. Uh, she says that the associates of John Luke Picard were unexpectedly loyal and she doesn't see them breaking anytime soon. And this face is like, they must do not fail me. And then he kind of like threatens her about her form being manipulated. And he says that, you know, they, they must have the boy too. So Jack on Titan, he hears some whispering and then, you know, he's in a lift with Sydney, with Jordy's daughter, the ensign. He starts asking her like, if her quarters are, are, are nice or something like that. And she's like, oh, you know, I'm an ensign or standard or whatever. He's like, well, the ship is near empty. And he's like, I found a nice one. And he's like, if you wanted to, you know what? So it's like, I think he's kind of saying, hey, if you want to come by and check it out. Then she thinks to herself, which is weird because we don't ever see anyone like talking or thinking to themselves. She's like, is he flirting? And she's like, he is charming. But he should be subtle or something like that. It's like maybe like touch my hand or whatever. And then, so as they're standing next to each other, he like touches her hand. Her floor arrives. She gets off and she turns around and she's like, "Why'd you do that?" His eyes go red. I don't know if it's red for our sake or because I'm. It almost feels like no one else is seeing that his eyes are going red. And then he like hears her thoughts and she just like walks away. And and then he kind of doesn't. He looks like almost like he's mad or something like that. But then he goes to Picard, like on a bridge. Uh, there's this other message, but it, it's a compromised code. It gives a location and basically says that the captain has been caught. So it's it's Will. But the, the frequency matches the Shrike. So Shaw tells Esmar, who's a, a Vulcan, to look into the signal. Uh, just to don't let them find him. And then Jack asks Picard if he can talk to him. So he says he doesn't know what's going on with him, but he knows it isn't anything good. He's caused all of this, and now, you know, Riker was good to him from moment one, and he's got a wife and a child. It's like maybe they let the Shrike find them, and then he gives himself up for Riker. And Picard's like, no. But then Jack's like, you know what it's like to have people, you know, having people who have died and who will die for you? He's like, it's not worth it, or I'm not worth it. He feels like, you know, something is wrong with him, like deep down inside. He doesn't know how to explain it, but it's like he can hear up in his head. And then it's like, what are you hearing, Jack? You don't deserve any of this. He's like, I'm not giving up on you. You know, don't give up. But Jack says that, you know, he never gives up. He enjoys a fight, you know, whether, you know, when it, he enjoys a fair fight or when it's not, when he's cheating. But they've never had the advantage here. And Picard's like, what if we actually do? He's like, I think I know how we can get to Vatic. So then in open space in the Alpha Quadrant, the Shrike arrives. Vatic is told that it looks like someone beat them to the Titan. So it's here, it's like, wait, did I miss something? Because the warp engine is offline. Emergency power 
the only thing that's on. She asked for life signs and uh, if Jack is alive. So there's just one message, someone saying that they've engaged with the Titan. You know, they found it. The warp is offline. Then she's told that both ships are offline or something like that. Then uh, she says, that, you know, prepare boarding power party, you know, shuttles, no transporters. So Vadic's like, he's right here. It's like, I can almost touch him. And then we're out of time. But the commander, you know, the alien thing is like chittering, like doesn't really agree with this. Vadic and the others board the ship. Uh, she checks for like life signs and she's like scattered like rats. So then Jack steps into hall and she's like, oh, hello. I thought you'd be taller. And Jack's like, too late. Everyone is dead. And she's like, not too late. I just want to take you to a better place. And he's like, what does that mean? He's like, what better place? It'll be much better to just show you. And he's like, you'll have to catch me first. So he turns and run. They start chasing. It's almost like an ambush because he like turns around a corner and like Sydney and Jack, they start like shooting at them. So they split up, go down these two different corridors and then uh, they block off the pursuers like with a force field. So like in the bridge or like the drop, you know, they're giving like codes or whatever for different locations. J Jake, Jake, Jack, uh, faces Vatic and he's like drop Charlie or something like that so they capture Vatic this other alien comes at the side and she puts her hands up to stop him Jack kind of like stares at her then he shoots at, at the other alien runs catch up with Sydney they're both being pursued and the force field uh, traps the two aliens but they're also like trapped between them at this like junction so there's like force fields on both sides so that they can't get out of there Jordy says that he's going to transport them out but something's blocking it. And then the door with Data closes, so he's awake, but it's actually Lore. So Lore is messing with the ship's controls. Then Subavatic is standing and whistling. Beverly says that, you know, she looks so at ease, you know, not even trying to slip out. And, you know, the, the force field area is hermetically sealed, so it'd be a challenge even for her. But she says that she must really want her son, and she's like, why? And, hmm, she's... Says Beverly's like, you know, I took an oath to do no harm, but I'm now I'm reconsidering. Vatic says like, oh, you've given up your endgame already. Then she's like, oh, so let me guess. You're the cruel one, and he is the understanding one. And she points behind, like she, somehow she knew Picard was there. And she's like, oh, I'm bored already. So Picard says that they know what she stole from Daystrom. They have a good idea what they had planned you know, with, at New Frontier Day. So he uses body and Jack's blood to make a perfect double of him. Beverly says that they also know that about their evolved physiology. And Vatic's like, what about your son? What do you know about his physiology? And Beverly's like, what do you want with Jack? And she's like, me, nothing. He's not for me. It's like, we could bond over that since we, you know, he was never really for you either. And Picard's like, there's no escape. He's like, your best option is to be forthcoming. So he mentions the Dominion War and then she snarls like to compare the atrocities that your side committed against us and to the warfare that we're doing now. She says that, you know, solids like them ruin every world they touch. And Picard's like, name one. And she's like, mine. He's like, we were barely out of the gates of war and your Federation turned to genocide. She talks about, you know, she mentions a virus and Picard says that they gave her people a cure. And she's asked if that's really what his history books tell him. You know, they created a cure, yes, but Starfleet decided not to give it to them. So one of their own had to go and steal it. 
So Sydney, you know, so Sydney and Jack are still trapped. She's calling, calls her dad, calls Jordy, and she's like, I don't know how much longer we have because the force feels her integrity is giving away or something like that. Jordy's like, Laura's taking over all the systems. He's like, security, transporters. And she's like, why is he doing this? And he's like, chaos. He loves chaos. Then Vadic's like, do you like the symphony? And I think Picard's like, you don't have music, or someone says it. She says that she learned it from the solids when she was a prisoner of war. Because at Daystrom Station, she and like others were captured, you know, during during this war or whatever. And she talks. Some of them, I don't know if they're just in liquid form in, in these little like beakers, or whatever. Because she talks about like just all the noise and like the squeaks of the wheels and a cart on the floor, the shoes on concrete and whistling. So then we see this like doctor who looks just like Vatic. And she's like, she whistled while she injected us, exposed us, infected us with more pain than any being should be expected to endure. It's like all to turn us into weapons, perfect, undetectable spies, able to drop into any species and spread chaos. With those experiments, they created a perfect monster, us. So then the flashback shows the doc, and then she gets impaled in the shoulder by a forming creature. So Beverly says that, it's like you evolved from experiments. And Vatic says that now she's able to pass it on. And Picard's like, I didn't know. And Vatic's like, that Federation took my family. Now I will take yours. It's just like, yeah, two wrongs make a right. Sydney tells Jordy that he has to beam them out of there now. He tries talking to Data, but Laura says that he can't fight him. The Data's gone. Beverly and Picard talk and... Beverly's like, you know, how much of a, she's saying how much of a threat Vatic is. If she gets out, she's going to go after her son. Anything that she told them, she wanted them to know. Because, you know, why would she take the face of her torturer? And Picard's like, you know, you know maybe she did that uh, to remind herself of her hate. And he's like, you know, he's, but then he's like, he says Beverly that she's right. She is an executioner for a cause. So we won't get anything more out of her. And he pulls out his phaser. Jordy keeps trying to talk to Data, says that, you know, he made him better. He made him a better man, a better father, a better friend. When he died, it broke him. But he's like, you know, you put me back together, the memory of you. Picard asks Beverly, you know, if they're so fundamentally changed that they're willing to compromise everything they believed in, you know, is, is that possible? Because they, they don't kill. But now they're just going to kill her in cold blood because she's a threat to her, her their son. But she's like, yes, she's like, she thinks that she's losing her compass. And Picard says that right now she is their prisoner. And Beverly says that the moment that they allowed her to board, they invited death onto the ship. So then he turns on his phaser. So he's, I guess he's about to kill her. Data is trying to come in, but Lord groans. He's like appealing to my brother's memories of friendships. Very powerful. Jordy asks Lore, he's like, what do you want? And he says, no more than what you want for your children. Nothing more than these changeling wants. Survival. It's human nature, pal. Allow me to level a playing field. The enemy of my enemy, you know to rest. Then Jordy yells, like, he's got control of the ship. And he shuts off the force fields. So Vatic turns to goopy form. And Picard and Beverly, they can't seem to hit her. They try shooting at her. Pew, 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 pew. It's like totally missing. And she like jumps up into his like vent. So Vatic is free. Jack and Sydney try fighting the aliens like hand to hand. You know, that phaser gets knocked out of, out of their hands. Jordy um, goes back and he tries appealing to Data. Says that you know he knows he's in there. You know he, that he must be able to hear him. Jack manages to shoot 
his alien that he's fighting. Sydney's like slammed against the force field and she looks at Jack and she's thinking, she's like, Jack, what should I do? And then he thinks like, roll. And she rolls like kick. She kicks, duck, roll. So he's basically kind of like mimicking the fight, like how he would fight this guy. And she's doing it now because she's listening to him. And then she finally manages to get her gun and then shoot the alien. The door with Lore opens, but it's actually Data. And he says that he's there. He'll try. Sydney's all confused. She's like, what was that? She's like, was that you in my head? And then she points a phaser at him when he goes like to her. He's like, it's me, you know, Jack. She's like, trust me. Then, then there's stupid whistling from Vatic, and Jack's like, we have to go. Beverly says that Vatic mentioned Project Proteus. Um, she looked it up or something like that. She finds a formula that they were exposed to. It had some chemical in it, like a stabilizing agent with like a hundred year half life. So in theory, each of them contains a trace amount of this. So Picard's like, we can track them. They call out to where Vatican and another are. Shaw and two crew members approach. The two crew members, of course, get shot. Shaw takes out the alien. Then Vatic scurries away. Then an alien pops up behind Shaw and shoves him against the wall. So now they're at the bridge. Seven says, you know, weapons ready. The doors open and a bloody Shaw like plops forward. So at first I'm like, is this really Shaw all beat up or is it like fake aliens start swarming in? It's like, where did all these aliens come in? How did they get there? You know, they're all armed and everything like that. So Vatic grabs Seven's phaser. She asks Seven to open a channel, please. And she would like to address my ship or her ship. So she goes to the captain's chairs and she's like, attention, crew of the Titan, you've proven yourself worthy, but what defense is formidable against the formless? I warned you it would end this way. You could have spared yourself. Now, I did this not out of cruelty, but of mercy. So here we are. Bring Jack Crusher to where he most belongs. And she sits in the captain's chair. I am Vatic, captain of the USS Titan. And Jack, my dear... If you can hear me, it's time you learned who you truly are. So what the heck does that mean? I have no idea. So, uh, I mean, I am enjoying the show, but it's just, you know, there are some weird things. And it's like, what, what exactly is going on? So it's, it's good. Uh, but yeah, I guess that Because like, when did this Dominion War, I should look this up. It's like, when did, was the Dominion War ever depicted anywhere? Is it just something that happened? Like originally when we heard about the Clone Wars, we had no idea what it was. So I should probably look that up. And I don't, I mean, if it was depicted anywhere, maybe it'd be, you know, I could appreciate these shows even more, but whatever. So that was Star Trek Picard. Okay, and the first movie feature is Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. So this is a it's it's basically an Elseworld story. This is based off the comic book series. I think it was a three issue series from Mike Mignola and Richard Pace. Which for some reason, so again, uh, two, November two thousand to January two thousand one. I don't know how I missed this. It's an Elseworlds book. Maybe it, that's why because it was Elseworlds. So I'm trying to think. Two thousand definitely pre Comic Vine. You know, I was going to the comic store. I don't know how I missed this, and uh, I, I I don't know maybe maybe I, I don't I don't know if it was just Mike Mignola's like oh, what you know I like Mike Mignola, but I don't, for some reason I, I I didn't read this. The funny thing is, I'm a huge fan of Richard Pace now, 
And I didn't like, I feel like I didn't know it at the time. You know, I've seen some of the comics that he's done like back in the day and everything like that. I started following, I don't know how, how I got started, but I've been following him on Instagram and everything. And when I do the, you know, amazing art picks every week, you know, I, I check out his site, his Instagram, see what, what he posts and everything like that. And he's a super nice guy. And um, I just somehow, I, I missed this book. Now, with the movie, <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest. I didn't love the movie. That doesn't mean a whole lot. What you need to remember. So, okay, if you're familiar with the story, if, if you've read the comic or if you've seen the trailer, this is basically kind of Batman in a sort of like H.P. Lovecraft era genre you know, story. So that means it's taking place like in the, the old-timey time. And as you're maybe aware... For some reason, I got this, it's not necessarily a pet peeve. I got this little thing where I don't, I'm not a big fan of the old timey stuff. And by old timey, it's like, I, I feel like it's anything maybe earlier than the 1920s. Like, you know, if, if, if we're talking like swords and, and horses and wagons and dragons, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not like the biggest fan of it. Now, that being said, I really enjoyed House of the Dragon. You know, the, the, those quality programs, the story and everything, you know, it, it, it sold me there. But there's just a lot of stuff that happens like in the old timey stuff that it just it it's not I don't know. It's, it's just something about it that just just turns me off. And I'm not the biggest like H.P. Lovecraft um, fan. I've never really I don't know if I've ever read any of his stuff. You know, I've definitely seen so many. There's been so many things that have been inspired by his works. So you can definitely feel his like imprint on, on so much stuff, you know, even like, like Scooby-Doo, you know, Mr. Incorporated had like, you know, some episodes dealing with that and everything. This definitely had, you know, there's, there's that, that feeling to it. And it's, it's clearly an, an else world story. So I think that's the other thing that, that kind of throws me off. While I really like the, oh, I forgot what it's called. The, the, the seventies Batman one, something dragons, if it's a drag, drag, I don't remember what I, I thought that was really cool. It had a really cool vibe and everything to it. But something about this, just as I was watching it, you know, the animation is great. The voice acting is cool. The, the way, like, the fights and everything is all, all laid out, choreographed or drawn or directed, you know, however it works. Everything is cool. It just it just quite wasn't for me. So just to, to start off, um, it starts off, like, in some, like, Arctic snowy area. They're, they're talking about going to, like, Cobblepot base. So right away, you're just like, wait, what, what's going on? Mr. Wayne is is like in charge of some expedition and and him and and grayson are looking for survivors so it's like okay we got bruce and dick okay that's cool there's like a bunch of frozen bodies and then dick and someone named sanjay are, are like looking around somewhere the um someone named grendon and uh cowpot are, are they're not there so we got some like new characters too dick finds a Professor Cobblepot's journal. So it's like they're adding some twists to these characters, which again is kind of cool that they're kind of being reinvented and everything like that. So looking at the journal, you know, it's like talk, talk about men feared his place. And then like day seven, things get worse. And then Grendon disappeared and he went mad. Um, others won't, won't speak and they refuse to move. Then um, when he closes his eyes, he hears it calling or something like that. Bruce ends up finding Cobblepot. He's like naked in the snow. So he like runs from him, finds this cave. And then Grendon's in there. He's like, well, I was Grendon. So he's like carving on some ice and Bruce looks and sees, he looks in there and there's like some beast or something in there. 
has like multiple eyes and it like pains him to look at it. Grendon talks about like gazing in the eyes. And so he made adjustments, like he took out his own eyes or something like that. And then he, Batman, or Bruce, not Batman, Bruce, there is no Batman. Bruce gets attacked by these like mutated penguins or something like that. Grendon goes back, smashes the ice and these tentacles come out because it's all Lovecrafty and stuff. And then like something like goes inside Grendon, like some little like tentacle creature. Then he goes to attack Bruce with like this pickaxe, but <laughs> Bruce just like punches him in the face. So then Bruce calls Kylie, which I think is supposed to be Cassandra Kane because her name is Kylie Kane. Uh, you know about using explosive; they're going to blow up the cave because he just uh, figures hide it. Dick's like, "Are you sure about you know what about the archaeological findings, whatever the creature?" And Bruce's like, "No, because there's a virus; it's meant to be buried." And the cobblepot's gone, but they're like, you know, he's probably buried in there, but he's not. So then. We see Alfred, you know, they're, they're going to take a ship back and they're, they have Grendon. They're going to keep him. At first, I wasn't sure. It's like, is Grendon dead? Because they're going to keep him in the, the meat freezer, but then he's still kind of alive or something like that. Bruce is still reading like Hobblepot's journal. There's this mention of a cult or what like that. And then, then he tells Alfred it's time to, to start what, or it's time to, to do what they started 20 years ago or something like that. He hits this like secret button and there's a bat suit in this like hidden compartment behind a shelf. So he's like, we're going home. So then they're going to go to Gotham. We get a, a flashback to his childhood when his parents are attacked, except they're not attacked by a gun, attacked by a knife or something like that. So then it, it kind of goes from there. And there, there's other people like uh, Lucius Fox greets Bruce at, at the manor. Um, he, Bruce finds out he got an invite from Oliver Queen to go over to his place. And uh, Jason Blood turns up, you know, Etrigan, Demon. And then um, they just mentioned a Langstrom. And then there's a, this book, The Testament of Ghoul. So we have like Rachel Ghoul and Talia involved. And, and it just goes from there. It's like all about this creature and beast and everything. And yeah, so I mean, it's, 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 it's a good story and all that. You know, don't let my, my disdain for, for the past, I don't know what, what it is about that, but. So you know, just watch the trailer. It, it's it's a good movie. It, it's put well put together, and um, for, for like I said, I don't know why I never read. It. I'm I'm so baffled because when when I first saw this trailer, I'm like that kind of sounds familiar. It's like what is that? And then I when I went, when I was, I was like, wait, Richard Pace drew was involved with that. I was like, how did I not know this? So it's just so weird. I don't know how I missed it because it's like I was reading everything Batman then. Even the Elseworlds, I thought I was reading the Elseworlds, maybe not. It's not for me. You know, I love Batman and everything, but I, I just, maybe just when I watch it, because I, I feel like, you know, lately I haven't, I was like, I don't, I feel like I don't have a lot of free time because, you know, I'm, I'm constantly watching shows for, for the podcast. And, I, and, and obviously I'm choosing shows that I like because, like, I don't know if anyone's asking, like, oh, can you cover School Spirits? But I, I'm enjoying the show, so I'm, I'm covering it. But also, you know, I'm, there's some other things I try to watch that I'm not covering. And there's just sometimes like, especially on the weekends, it's like, I, I just want to watch a movie. But I now this, you know, past weekend or no, last weekend, it was like late last weekend. It was too late to put on the podcast on last week's podcast. But I was I was going to watch something and I was like, oh, I just got this movie. I should watch this. And so that, that kind of takes some of the fun away because then it becomes like work. So keep that in mind. You know, I, I may not have loved it, but this could be like totally your your jam, you know, whatever. 
So it, it's really good production. I mean, the, the movies lately have been, I, I think they've been doing a really good job with them. And I feel like they, uh, you know, the, the recent ones before were good, but I, I feel like just even the animation is, is really, they like bumped it up. You know, it was good before, but now it's, it's even better. So definitely, you know, check it out. Watch the trailer. If you read the comic, you know, you, you have an idea what to expect. Seems like they do a good job, but it's just for me, it, it wasn't for me. So that was uh, Batman, the Doom that came to Gotham. It looks really great. I watched the 4K version, and oh my, it's it's just it's, it's so good. It's so clear, and uh, I, I feel like we're we're just so so lucky that to, to have like just you know quality content. So if it's your your cup of tea, check it out. If not, maybe. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know if there are how many people are like me that just have this disdain for the past. It's, it's silly. But if you like Batman, it's 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 cool to see how the characters are tweaked and reinterpreted. You know, they're, they're essentially the same, but there's just like some some cool differences. And, you know, the voice acting, they always do such a good job with the voice acting. So you should check it out. Just know that I didn't love it. But you you may love it. If you watch it, let me know. You know, let me know if if you loved it or not. Um, am I just crazy with this? Okay, and now the main movie feature is Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. This movie, I had absolute zero expectations. I have nothing involved. I've I've never played Dungeons and Dragon. I don't know. I've, I'm sure I've told this story before. I almost did one time. Me and a buddy of mine, we went to. Um, his older brother's friend's house and we were supposed to play. So we, we started sending, setting up the, you know, who our characters were going to be. And then whoever was a dungeon master started setting, but then we just never got into it. It was like all this setup and we never even played. So I don't, I've never played it and I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying like, Oh, that's for nerds or whatever. I've just, I never played it. So does this have anything to do with, with, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons only in the fact that this is a, in a world where there's sword fighting, there's magic, there's dragons, there's, you know, whatever different creatures. And uh, on, that, on that note, you need to know nothing going into this movie. The, there is zero connections. There's zero history. It's not like you need to watch this or no, you don't have to know anything. Now, um, as far as, as it goes, Rotten Tomatoes, it's at a 90% with the critics and a 92% with the audience scores. So people really like this. The bigger question is, did I really like this? Okay, so if you know me, and especially if you've been listening, because it's something that I've kind of brought up a lot lately, and and the same thing with like what, what I just said about Batman, you know, the doom that came to Gotham. I'm not a big fan of stuff in the past, and, and I don't know what, it's just... I I don't know what my problem is, and and I should be into it. You know, I should embrace it, as you know the fantasy element. But there's just something about it. I just I don't I don't know what it is. So like with Game of Thrones, and I think that's part that's one of the reasons why I didn't originally watch Game of Thrones. It's just like eh, you know, it's like sword fighting, whatever. Oh, there's dragons, maybe. Okay, cool. Uh, and also you know when you watch that first episode, is is like oh, is this just a show about like incest um no thanks i don't really need that but obviously that's not what it is but the house of dragon i do enjoy i did enjoy house of dragon i i there was that the characters just won me over i i started caring about them 
So I'm not completely ruling it out. Like I'm, I'm totally against something if it doesn't happen within the last, you know, 10 years or something. So with this, I was just like, I, you know, when, when I heard about this coming out, when I saw the first trailer, when I first heard about it, I think it was at Comic-Con last summer because I remember I, I posted, I think I posted a trailer or something. So I was like, okay, this could be cool. I was totally, I, I was totally wrong about it. I was almost thinking that there's like a group of normal people, like in the present, somehow gets transported into this fake world or this magical world or something like that. And then they have to, you know, so it's almost like these bunch of nerds are going to be playing Dungeons and Dragons and they get transported into like a, a realistic world and they're fighting for their lives. That's not what happens. This is a legit world where magic and creatures and whatever, all this stuff exists. That's fine. But the thing with this, the special effects are pretty good, but there's a couple parts where things seem kind of fake, kind of weak. Um, but I've heard, I, I, I've seen some people like praising the special effects of this movie. I'm like, um, yeah, there are some cool things, but, I, but maybe that the couple not so cool things are really standing out uh, compared to all the other really cool stuff. I don't know. So I, I shouldn't get too hung up on that. There's a, there's a big cast in here. So we have Chris Pine. Um, I'm okay with Chris Pine. You know, I, I, I like most of what he, he does. Uh, we have Michelle Rodriguez. Um, I'm not always the biggest Michelle Rodriguez fan because I feel like a lot of times she plays the same character. Like she's always just like angry, the angry butt kicker. And she she's kind of like that here. But for some reason, I really liked her here. I, I don't know what it was. And I, I again, like with, with Loss, I liked her in Loss. And I, I know a lot of people I talked to here, I watched it with, you know, they didn't really like her, but I thought was fine with her. Um, so I, I do like her character here. And this is Justice Smith guy. I don't know a whole lot about him. I know that he was in uh, Detective Pikachu and um, he was in something else I saw. But I actually, I really liked him too. I think I liked him more than I like Chris Pine uh, character. I'll just say, uh, nothing against Chris Pine as a person, but this character, I'll get to that in a bit. Then we have Hugh Grant, which is like, okay, what do you expect from Hugh Grant? If you've been watching Hugh Grant movies, like, it seems like every time he, he comes in, or lately, it's like he's, he's playing the villain. He used to always be like, like the, I guess, the, the cute Hollywood or the cute Englishman, you know, charming, charismatic dude. But lately, it seems like he's almost been like the evil English dude. And that's what he kind of ends up being here. Spoiler. Not really. Maybe. The thing with, with Chris Pine's character, when, when we look at the group that gets assembled, you know, if you've seen the cast, you look at the poster, you see, you know, we have all these different types of characters. And that's that's where the Dungeons & Dragons aspect comes in. You have people with different power sets. You know, you have someone who's a magician, someone who's like an elf or a shapeshifter or whatever, you know, all these different things. So while Chris Pine is like the main character, he doesn't, he, I'm, I'm trying, you know, what What exactly does he bring? He's, and I, I think it might've been in a trailer where, you know, he's the one that makes the plans and, and, you know, they, they kind of joke about this. It's like, oh, so once you make your plan, then, then you're, you're worthless. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, cause if, if things go wrong, then I make a new plan. And then they're like, so what, you make plans that don't work. And cause that's really what he does. You know, he doesn't have any special powers he's not strong he's not you know he's he can fight to an extent and i i think the other thing is he he make he cracks jokes every once in a while and 
I'm I'm totally down okay with with jokes, but sometimes it's like too much. You know, it, it, it's 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 got to be at the right time and everything like that. But he was he was fine, and you know, he he's the whole purpose of of the the movie. You know, getting everyone together. And then you know, so Michelle Rodriguez, you know, she's like the big tough warrior. Uh, Justice Smith does magic, and you know, there's there's other um, characters involved as well. So they they go on this big mission. And what it is, is the basic story, and I don't think this is a spoiler, maybe not really, but Chris Pine was married, had a daughter, and he was kind of like a spy, you know, doing some stuff. And because of his job, his home gets um, visited by like an evil, dark magician or whatever, and his wife ends up getting killed. So it turns out that there's, because this is a world of magic and stuff like that, there's this like talisman thing. It's like a resurrection tablet or something like that. So you can use it and bring someone back to life. So he's like, okay, for the sake of my daughter, I need to bring her back. You know, it's, it's more for his, his sake than his, for his daughter. Cause his daughter was just like a baby when, when, his, when his wife died. So they, they embark on this mission with other people to get this relic, but then things go wrong. It all blows sideways. And then Chris Pine ends up getting arrested like him and Michelle Rodriguez. So he's, he's in this prison for two years and that's kind of where the movie starts off where they're in the prison. They're brought to go like to their parole hearing. So anyway, so, so, you know, he, he gets out now he needs to, you know, try to find his relic and try to get back. And, you know, he hasn't seen his daughter in two years and he's not even sure where she's at. And, and of course, you know, there's other complications that, that go up and, and then it, it basically leads to a new quest to try to solve the problem and try to right the wrongs that have been happening in his absence and, and so forth. So there, there's a, a lot going on here, but part of the one of the weird things, it's almost like boom, boom, you know, location, location, location. They get around pretty quickly. And I don't know, like the size of this world or whatever, but it's like, okay, we got to go here. Now we got to go here. And it's, it's like, it's not a problem at all because the other thing is like, you know, if he was in jail for two years, he probably has no money to, you know, you need money to get by unless you're just going to ride your horse. Are you going to take a ship anywhere? Can you go everywhere by horse? Is there anything, what do you do about food? I mean, how are you eating? You got to pay for that. And so it's like minor details, you know, not, not, not even a big issue, but it just seems like it's just, it goes like boom, 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 boom. So there, there's a lot of cool moments, and you know, the, I, I think like the some of the magic stuff that it does play really well, and you know, so it makes it worth seeing on a big screen and all that. So I think, for the most part, I did enjoy the movie. There are some parts where I mean, the movie is like I think it's like two hours and fifteen minutes or something like that, and so some parts it kind of felt like it was dragging a little bit, and some parts for me, I'm just like, kind of just like okay okay, let's, let's get to it. You know, cause we're, it's almost like we're kind of getting too many jokes or too many adventures, too many of this or that, but someone else might look at this and like to be totally embracing it. Cause you know, those rotten tomato critic and, and audience scores are pretty high. So I think someone who is not like, so I enjoyed the movie. I just did not love it. And I, I, I had a good time, but I think other people could feel differently might like it more than I liked it and and if so that's that's great 
but there's just some parts it was just like too much too much like i think i mentioned too too many jokes or too many fight or too many of this or it was like a little cliche, you know, like the character, this is, this character is going to do this, or, you know, this is the type of person they are, you know, he's a bad magician. So of course things are going to fall apart or whatever. But aside from that, you know, I, I just feel like I'm kind of nitpicking and, and I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm still thinking it's like, I'm still reeling over like how much I love John Wick, you know, last week. And then, you know, a, you know, a week later then I'm watching Dungeons and Dragon where I wasn't excited to see it, and it's. I wasn't. It's. I wasn't not excited because I had anything against it. It's just it's. It's not my my genre of choice. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go see it. It's it's the next big you know Hollywood movie that's out. But yeah, so so that's just my my thoughts on the matter. So it it is a good movie. It is worth seeing in a big screen. It's just not something that I got super excited for, but I think people will enjoy it. I think you should see it. They do a good job. And I think I am, I'm kind of interested in this world. Cause you know, there is supposed to be the TV series, which is kind of like a spinoff or something like that. It's probably not going to have any of these characters, but part of me, like I, I am kind of curious about this world that exists, that how you have these different creatures and humans and whatever, and you know, magic and not magic, just all coexisting uh, so I'm a little curious, but when the show comes on, am I going to watch it? I really don't know. You know, I never finished the Amazon Lord of the Rings because it was just, I just couldn't get into it. I wasn't excited enough to keep watching it. And plus there's probably like too much other stuff to watch. And I still could watch it. I, I do want to watch it, but I, just, I still feel like there's just so much other stuff to, to watch. I can't even read all of the comics because, you know, working all day and then trying to do all this other stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not the best to promote this movie, but I'm not going to lie or whatever. I do think it's a good movie. I do think people are going to have fun watching it. It's just for me personally, like I said, Swords and Dragons, not my top favorite thing. So I guess that's all there is to say about that. Would I like a sequel? I think so. I, you know, I, I think it could be fun. You know, there, there's, I, I do think the, the, the cast was charismatic, you know, they're, they are likable, you know, and, and they're, they're misfit ways or whatever. So I, I really think that if you watch it, you'll probably enjoy it and you'll probably enjoy it more than I did. And, and I did enjoy it. So that, that's like really all there is to say it. And I, and I, I, I did like this more than I like Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. I guess I, I'm actually saying that. Yikes. <laughs> um, I didn't realize I would say that. So, oops, it's out there now. I can't take it back. I can't edit this before publish, right? It's it's there. So that's going to be it for this week. <laughs> so big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are awesome supporters. You can be an uh, awesome supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be what? Awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones here or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck. So if this podcast isn't enough, if you want more, you get access to 30 minutes more of other stuff. And with the, when I look at these comic book you know, series, it's almost I, I'm trying to do like the, the old time, old timey. You know, I hate old timey stuff like the old radio show. So you can you know, hear like find out what happened in these these comics um, and just you know cool moments. And then, you know, of course, to talk about movies and other stuff like that. But. And I'm also open to suggestions. Like if there's something that you wanted to talk, something I can go deeper into that 
would just make this the regular episodes too much too long. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman for mech and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is going to happen next week? So as far as TV goes, you know, we have the uh, we're not gonna have the bad batch. So one less show for me. I don't remember if there's anything new starting up. You know, there there was a uh, The Power, which is on, on Amazon on Prime, uh, with Tony Collette. Um, but they dropped three episodes already. So I, I don't know about that. Um, coming up on, let's see, what was it, Thursday? Um, I know a, a friend of mine, Rich, he's like super excited about this uh, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. <laughs> it's going to be on Paramount+. Plus. I don't, th- I don't think I'm going to be watching that. Um, but I don't think there's anything. I feel like there's something else. Oh, there, there, I thought there was something in, maybe it's April, but I thought there was something else like end of March coming that hadn't happened. Um, and then uh, the movie feature is going to be Super Mario Brothers. So we'll see how that comes out Wednesday. I don't know. I mean, it looks slick. But, oh, I, fingers crossed Chris Pratt does a good job. So that is going to be it for this week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. I hope you are doing well. And I hope you have time to do fun things. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're taking care of others. But I hope you remember to be good to each other.